Ladies and gentlemen, we, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagman and Hagman Report for today. It is Tuesday, February 13th, 2018. Boy, so glad you're joining us. Thanks so much for your belief and your trust in us as we walk through this minefield together. Are you getting any, any uh, audio? I'm not getting any audio. No audio. There, there we go. go. All right. Thank you for that. When that happens, you know, you got to reach around the back, find the connection, make sure the, the mic's plugged you, in. It's the beauty of, beauty of live, uh, live radio. Uh, thanks for joining us. A lot of, a lot of news and, and information to get into. Tonight we're going to have, uh, Tracy Beans and, uh, followed by Dave from X22 Report. And then of course, third hour wrapping it up, Stan Dale talking about, uh, earth and uh, geopolitical events. I may have to scoot out of here early. And if so, Joe, you guys are in good company. So having said that, got, got a lot of information to get into. I, I want to mention to you, Joe, earlier today, uh, the role of John Brennan has been downplayed a little bit, I think, in what, uh, we're talking about this, this, we are watching, and Dan Bongino had talked about this, we are watching a soft coup, a bloodless coup, right now. And, and I, and I have, I, look, we've been saying this for, forever. And he, I think people now are, are finally joining the party, so to speak, um, finally realizing just how how the, the depth and, and breadth of, of this 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 coup, the the coup against Donald Trump, the coup against the will of the American people, the coup against all of this. And by the way, folks, if you're looking for my show today, I did not do a show today. I had an appointment, uh, so tomorrow I'll, I'll pick it back up. But um, nonetheless, this is a, a lot to talk about. But John Brennan, his role in this has been downplayed. I remember doing a report on on Brennan back in. 2013, after the film Innocence of Muslims, um, had, uh, supposedly was blamed on the Benghazi attacks. Of course, that wasn't the case, but, uh, seeing his connections back, way back then, uh, in, in a nutshell, here's what it looks like to me right now. It looks like that, uh, the CIA had, Brennan, in the name of the CIA, had, con- had contracted out with, uh, some of the Five Eyes groups of intelligence, uh, agencies. And in addition to the FISA warrant in the uh, exponential concentric circles of Carter Page, I think that Brennan had asked the uh, GCHQ, perhaps the Dutch, the Australian uh, uh, agencies to conduct surveillance on Donald Trump and the Trump team, and then, of course, fed that information to Comey. Of course, Brennan denied doing this in um, in, in various hearings, and now is kind of stepping away and is not in the picture of, of course, but, but Brennan, the, the communist voting, that's right, he voted for a communist back in 1980, uh, Gus Hall in the 1980 elections, he chalks that up to the, his, uh, uh, youthful, whimsical nature, but, uh, uh, communist slash Muslim convert is front and center in this, in this, uh, coup that's taking place against Donald Trump that is still in progress, but we're seeing this unfold. The most important story, I believe, in my lifetime. I'm going to kick it over to you, Joe, it and is, your thoughts. You, you wouldn't know that from watching CNN. <laughs> now, as I uh, do very often, I monitor CNN throughout the day when I wake up. I'll have uh, my computer open as I'm updating the website, and it'll be on in the background. And uh, when I'm done with the website or I want to listen to something else, I do. But I check it throughout the day. 
And you couldn't tell by looking at their website today, but for the last four or five days, they've been on this, what is it, Rob or Rod Porter story? Yeah, Porter, where yeah, yeah. an aide to Trump uh, had some domestic violence problems against his ex-wife's, you know, years in the past. Well, from watching CNN, you would think um, that this guy, you know, beat his wife in the Oval Office with Trump applauding. Uh, th- these people are, are rabid. And what's so fascinating about this is they're uh, continuing to draw this story out. You know, every host, every hour. They got nothing. It's they the nothing breaking else. news story. I don't see it or hear it anywhere else. It's not even on their website right now. I just checked. Don't see it on Fox. Don't see it on any of the other outlets. Nobody else cares. But CNN is, uh, you know, basically reporting that Trump hired this guy uh, knowing about his background. And somehow that is a big scandal. Well, look at what CNN has done. They have been involved in this coup against Donald Trump with the Obama administration, in bed with Hillary Clinton and the intelligence agencies, publishing knowingly leaked information trying to damage Donald Trump, uh, you know, recklessly attempting to discredit President Trump with a false Russia investigation. And they knew about this the whole time. Meanwhile, they're trying to, in true to form, uh, you know, get Trump for knowing he had domestic abuse problems in the past. It's all hot air. It's all smoke. As you said, they have nothing. But it just seems like they're so far off base this week. I wonder who is calling the shots and do they need to be replaced at CNN because they're even getting bad at the propaganda and attempts to discredit Trump at this point. It's yeah, not even, I, no, it's not I, even I agree with you on that. believable. I mean, I, I don't even know how they're, you know, continuing to have ratings. We see that they're going to be laying off a number of people as they have fallen, I believe, 10, plus million dollars short of their uh, financial revenue goals for last year. So it's going to be interesting to see what We've happens. We've seen there. a lot anyway, of media kind of getting cleaned up by this. I, I want to mention this. I, I'm kind of sniffing around on, on this. Um, one thing I think is critically important, and, and I'm going to be talking about this on my on my morning show tomorrow, the memo to self by Susan Rice okay, and Comey's meeting that 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 references as well. Obviously, James Comey lied to Congress, lied to the American people, and, and the fact that Susan Rice sent this memo uh, to her, this email to herself—if you haven't heard it—it's—it's. It's, I've got the letter from Grassley. It's a—it's a—it's a, some of us redacted. There's Dear like three, diary. Three paragraphs. Yeah, it's got three paragraphs. Some of us redacted. Um, it, it's a really an interesting email. But it, it talks about a meeting that, that she said it actually at 12.15 p.m. on Inauguration Day. Now, people might ask, why is that? Because she was out of a job as of 12.01, you know, noon and a minute on Inauguration Day. She was out of a job. So why did she send that email using government equipment at 12.15 with one foot out the door? Well, uh, the Daily okay. Wire... <clears throat> has a interesting piece about this and then there's some spoof pieces that I said dear diary today was my last day in office yeah. just like every other day I did not commit any crimes and president obama told me to always follow the rules and never commit any crimes ever and then it goes on from there you can kind of paint the own, your own obviously that, you know but. yeah the, the, there's a lot of spoofs out there about that and rightfully so because but, but I, when you when you clear all the the chaff aside and you look at at what is taking place here Look, I'm, I'm telling you right now, this email is significant. And if you read the letter, and again, I'll be talking about this more in the morning, uh, I think I've got something on this. 
I, I really do. When you read, when you read, when you read Grassley's letter to Susan Rice, you know, a lawyer generally never asks a question that they, a lawyer does not already know the answer to is given a courtroom setting as well as in a, in a, uh, deposition kind of setting. It, it, I, I don't want to say it with this, um, with this letter that, that Grassley and Graham sent out to, to Susan Rice, but there's an interesting question. Did you send this, this email to yourself? Obviously, that, that was a question. Now, I understand that some of these are establishing facts. And the second one, or the second or third one was, uh, did you send it at this time? Okay. Okay. Now, think about you think this. think there's something more there than? There is. And even if there isn't, even if there isn't like a, a munging of the time or munging of the headers, the, there's something to this because at 12.15 on the day of the inauguration, this reads like a spy novel, but at that time, she, she doesn't have a job anymore. Okay, they asked, why did Rice send the email? Right. When was she aware of the Trump-Russia collusion investigation? Was she aware... Of the FISA warrant on Carter Page. Right. Did Comey or Yates mention any media coverage of the Steele dossier? Was she aware of the Steele dossier, and were there any more meetings of this sort? And that this is a, a rundown of questions there. Yeah, I'm going to have to put... I'm going to actually show what I think I'm going to do. And part of kind of jumping ship tonight, I, I need to do a couple of things with respect to this. Um, I'm going to go to HagmanReport.com between now and tomorrow morning. I'm going to put the entire letter up there and the email. And people need to really look at this and really understand what's going on. Because you, we ask, are people going to get perp-walked? Are we going to see people go to jail? I really believe we will. I truly believe that we're going to, we're going to see people go to jail over this. And, and, and I believe we're going to, we're going to see this at the federal level, of course, which is what we're talking. But we're going to be looking at some pretty serious crimes of which they are accused. And this is going to lead right up to Obama. But you're looking at Comey, Brennan, Rice, mm-hmm. uh, Yates. And, and on top of that, Strauch, Rosenstein. Right, right, right. And all the others that okay. are involved yeah. in this. Yeah, so, again, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm kind of promoting my show in the morning at 9 o'clock on BTR uh, because I didn't do a show this morning, but I'm, I'm kind of promoting that. And, and that's I'm going to get into that kind of like in a Columbo-esque fashion. Man, maybe that's not the right word. Uh, more of a, uh, an investigative fashion because there is a lot of stuff right here to this. All right, Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you. And we have, uh, our first guest with us, Tracy Beans. Excuse me. She is coming on to talk about a number of things, including an upcoming April 7th march in Washington, D.C., Operation Justice, March for Transparency. And we're going to hear more about that with Tracy. Tracy, oh. welcome back to the show. Hi, guys. I'm so glad to be here tonight. Thanks for having me. Well, Tracy, thanks for classing the place up for us. So we really appreciate it. I do want to make an announcement. By the way, for anyone interested, the chat room on the BTR, um, we, I didn't know that today. No, right. it, it's open. Oh, it's okay. open. Good. So if anyone wants to, uh, chat, I guess is what it's called, interact, you can just go to our show on BTR and Blog Talk Radio. And of course we broadcast over, uh, multiple platforms, including Global Star, Global Star Satellite Radio. We thank you so much for that opportunity. <clears throat> so having said that, you have to a profile to chat. Uh, in it's BTR? A free, it's a pre, free profile though. Okay. And then once you do that, follow our show and I'll make a note. It's kind of, kind of like old school. You I've know? been trying to do this at a half hour before the broadcast starts to open the chat room. So it's, well, there. let's hope. All right. Let, let's not take any time away from Tracy. Tracy, thanks for coming on. 
I'm glad to be here. I'm like not centered. I don't know which way I have to move. The other way. Oh, yeah. Eric throws stuff at me, Eric the tech, all the time. You know, he's like, move this way, move that way, because I I always go off center. So that's all right. I hate this. I feel I'm like, I'm so self-conscious, guys. I really am. And every time I'm on camera, I have such a hard time. So please forgive me. Well, we we can hey, we, we can put a stick thing. figure up there instead of you. So. Yeah, do that. That'd be so much more fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And uh, we could do some iTunes, uh, you know, camera or I, iPhone camera effects where we shrink your head or there you go, you know, put some filters on there. That'd be nice. Anything to take the spotlight off of my face would be great. <laughs> hey, not to, to sidetrack too much, Tracy, but I have a, a dental problem, and my face swelled up like a uh, like a balloon. You look like, a, you look like one of those chipmunks. And you it's know, still stuff. it's still half swollen. So I, I and I hate the cameras to begin with, but this just makes it so much worse. So I know how you feel. Yeah. Well, thank you for making me feel better. I guess I'll have to get used to it, you know, because I love coming on and talking to you guys, and this is a good way to do it. So here we are. Thanks for talking about my march. Yeah, yeah. let's let's start with that. When, where, and why, and what? Yes. So I'm so excited about about this. Honestly, I have such a group of wonderful people that stepped up to the plate to work on this with me, and. It, it really has been something I've wanted to do for a really long time just because I feel like we should be doing something um, to make our voices heard because for far too long there has been a group of people diametrically opposed to us doing something and they're very loud and they get a lot of attention. So I just, after this whole you guys are Russian bots thing, I decided that's it. I'm putting my foot down. I'm starting to do this right now. And so I decided to start kind of recruiting for Operation Justice. And I got an amazing team of people. And what we're going to do is go down to Washington, D.C. on April 7th, start at the White House, march from the White House to the Justice Department, and then to the National Mall for hopefully an afternoon full of fantastic speakers. And um, it's been a fantastic, like, event so far. People are excited about it. And... We just want to show that we're here. We we want transparency in government. We're tired of all the, you know, hidden yeah. FISA warrants and hidden, you know, all the stuff that's going on without us being able to know what's happening by our elected officials, our supposed representatives. And we want the justice system to actually give out some justice for once. <laughs> um, the, the two tiers or three sometimes of the justice system right now are really frustrating and it's it's just right and wrong it's not we're not even marching against anything we're marching for things so hopefully a lot of people come down okay now you're putting this on you're you're the organizer me <laughs> okay well that's good and what kind of response have you gotten so far We've gotten a really overwhelming response. I know that there, I've been seeing lots of people saying, I'm flying in from Seattle. I'm coming from California. I'll be there from Maryland. You know, I'm right next door. I'll see you there. People from Florida. There's been an overwhelmingly positive response. I really think we're going to have a lot of people down there because people are tired of sitting behind their keyboards. While we can affect great amounts of change there, and we have, hence the memo, right? We, we still have, we still, people have this like fire in their bellies to get up and go do something. And That's I think this good. is. Tracy, yeah, like you I said, mean, not marching against something, marching for something. And even if you just want to get out and interact and, and meet like-minded people, 
uh, and be a part of, of something as a, uh, an opportunity to make change, it's a great way to, to, to do this. Yeah, if we're really loud hmm. and there's lots of us, you know, it's going to be hard to ignore, especially the locations that we've picked and what we're doing. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a little bit of a walk. It's about a 20 minute walk, but hey, what better way? And we're marching in support of the people in the government that are doing the right thing. Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, um, Grassley, Nunez, you know, all the people that, the president, all the people that have stepped up. And I've already gotten an inkling from some folks who have told me that there's already somewhat of a counter march being planned. Um, <laughs> of course. But I don't see how somebody could march against transparency in government and against well, um, justice. <laughs> Tracy, uh, you know, you have the people, uh, the, the Antifa people who are uh, marching and, and rioting against free speech and the Second Amendment even. Uh, it's so crazy anymore. Uh, you know, you, you wonder what country you're in. You know, protest, counter protest, protesting the First Amendment, protesting the Constitution, protesting a protest. It gets crazy. And we've seen those die down. Uh, but the, the censorship at universities, uh, the problems that we see in government, so much is still ongoing. The battles we're fighting on social media, including YouTube and, and Facebook, those are ongoing. And it's going to be a constant fight, probably until they do shut us down one way or the other. But we have to keep fighting. We do, and a lot of people are scared, like, you know, I don't want to go down there. There's going to be people there that will hurt us, or there will be a fight, or there will be this. And I say that's exactly what they want us to think. Um, don't, go, don't go protest. Don't go exercise your First Amendment, your rights, your constitutional rights, because there may be someone there that will try to hurt you. I will not. I refuse to be silenced by fear. It is something that I think everybody should really stand up against. And um, we'll have protections in place either way. So I, I highly doubt with what we're planning that, that there will be problems. We'll just say that right now. Um, and I think it's going to be a great opportunity for people to get together, get to meet one another, and get excited about what we're accomplishing together as citizens of this country. Because a lot of it comes from us. Okay, Tracy, you don't have to answer this question. I know the answer to it, but I've got a reason for asking this, and you don't have to answer this. What part of the country are you in right now? Like, do you live in, is it the northwest, the southeast, the around D.C., or are you, I mean, or how many miles away from D.C. are you? I'm about six hours away from D.C. Okay, all right. So you're going to make that six-hour trip, and you're obviously ahead of time, and, and you're organizing this, all of this. Uh, and, and the reason I brought this up is because anyone within the day's drive of D.C. that listens yeah. to the show can be there. Or or even, you know, you've got people flying in, you said, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And there's, you know, there's we've got, we're about to, within the next five days or so, um, unveil the website. We've got a bunch of hotel rooms blocked off with discounted rates for people. Um, you know, there's, there's also an interesting way I'm going about the cost of everything. We have not fundraised at all for this. And if we do have to fundraise for equipment or security, then everything is going to be open ledger because I can't have a march for transparency and not be completely transparent. <laughs> so so every dollar, yeah. I mean, every dollar that comes in, if and when we decide that we're going to need some funds, will be accounted for um, to you guys. Um, and it, it's, it's 
it's just, I hope it serves, I hope if it goes well, it serves as a model for what we're able to accomplish together moving forward. Um, and I hope to do it every year if it works out. So I'm looking forward to it. Have you gotten any response or have you talked to anyone at the White House or anyone on the, on the conservative side in government letting them know this is going on? We sent letters out to a bunch of the folks that I mentioned earlier. I don't know what the response is going to be, so we'll have to wait and see what they do. Um, you know, I don't know how representatives are feeling about getting out in public and attending rallies. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, it would be wonderful if, if they – look, you're marching in support of transparency. You're marching in support of, of what is taking place in government, the, the good things. So you know what? It's it's not a protest march. It's a, it's an mm-hmm. advocacy march. It's a, it's a big difference. So yes. I, I look, I I'm a, I'm wholeheartedly behind this. And a lot of times people say, you know, well, what difference does it make? Boy, I could, you know, I just want to smack people when they say that because this makes a lot of difference when people see bodies and hear voices. It makes a big difference. It does. So you know, it's it's good. I really thank you for having, you know, letting me talk about this for 10 minutes. I appreciate it. Thanks oh, a lot. Yeah, no, we, we, need, we need to get into this because, and we'll help you promote it for yeah, uh, yeah. moving forward and closer to the date. We'll have you on and we can also, uh, you know, mention it ourselves. So we will make sure we do that. If, uh, thank you. I'd love to, now that's on a Saturday. That's April 7th, Saturday, April 7th, 2018, right? Saturday? Yeah. Do I have my days right? Okay. Yep. Got to make sure. Um, and it's okay. right in the middle of cherry blossom. So it'll be beautiful. Right. Okay. I'd, I'd love to be able to be down there. Who knows? Maybe we'll just show up and march with you. Wouldn't that be, that'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? That would be fantastic. Yeah. I would love that. Thank you. That would be so great. You might have to get, give me one of those uh, uh, recliners with wheels on it and push me. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure everybody would be happy to do that for you. <laughs> well, they might actually have to. Well, Tracy, let's, uh, <laughs> let's get into some news here. Uh, sure. So much going on. I don't know where you want to start. We... Um, we see new information coming out about Susan Rice. Uh, we're learning a little bit more about the extent of the abuses uh, in the Obama administration. Certainly Obama himself is at the periphery of this. You know, he's not implicated. We know he was involved, obviously. But um, what, are you, what are you hearing? What, what, where's Jeff Sessions? Uh, I got kind of taken to task in an email today for, uh, you know, really letting it go about Jeff Sessions and what he's focusing on, what he's not focusing on, how come he's not using this opportunity of one of the biggest scandals in, in history to call press conferences, to call these people out. I don't expect prosecutions, you know, today, but you can have some fo- sign of life that you understand what's going on and you understand the severity of the problems and you have an ability to, to really make a difference here. But we hear crickets from the Attorney well, General. that's because he recused himself from this. So he, he didn't really can't... From the, uh, the abuse of the FISA warrants? It, it, it is it, because it's tied to Russia. Hmm. It's tied to the whole Trump-Russia... I, 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 I knew exactly where you are taking that, and yeah, I, I get that. It's, is this before it's the all, Well, okay. Sort of, kind of. It's interesting to me, and, and Tracy, I agree with you, because technically, if Sessions, Jeff Sessions did get involved in this, he would probably have to. How do you unrecuse yourself? But I guess that's you just probably do what it. You he's the attorney general. Right, you right, do it. Right. He's an attorney, or he's the attorney general. You know, uh, look, I, I, I yeah, I, I see that because you're looking at 
really the, the FISA abuse that centered around the alleged Russia collusion, but the mandate from uh, Robert Mueller has expanded so much. But this is what I don't get. Okay, if that, if that Robert Mueller investigation stemmed from those FISA abuses, how can Jeff Sessions not step in and say, wait a oh, second? I, I, look, I agree. I, I, no, I agree. Tracy, um, should he unre- disre- unrecuse? What's the word? Non-recuse. Unrecuse. I un-recuse. guess it would be unrecuse. I, I am of the firm belief that that would be absolutely the, the most counterproductive thing that he could do as attorney general right now. Um, I don't think that he should do that at all because there's debate over whether he should have recused himself in the first place. Right. Uh, I don't think he should have, but you know, hey, he did. So now any dabbling in this whatsoever, would be just the optics of it for the people that are looking for any excuse to jump in and start to pull this apart, you know, whatever they're planning on doing. We know how sneaky they are. Just why not just, they don't need him right now. Um, what is he going to do? You know, the people investigating this are doing a, a fine job of making sure the public is aware. Um you know, you've seen these representatives on 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 the the talk shir- the talk circuit. So it's not like the American people aren't getting this information. Um, and I don't know what Jeff Sessions would accomplish by coming forward and starting to talk about it now. He's working on a lot of other things. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess I, I'm I'm against him doing that. Okay. I don't know. All right. Well, well, let me toss this out at you because I did speak with with a federal law enforcement agent, the FBI agent, um, who, who's kind of pretty, pretty well connected. Um, and I, to my surprise, when I asked about the Q, uh, that source that, that, that everyone is kind of talking about, but no one's talking about and everyone's saying, mm-hmm. man, I, when, when I asked him if he was aware of that, he said, oh yeah, really quick, like, oh yeah. Now, that's where the conversation started and ended with respect to that subject at his request, which I thought was really interesting. And I've known that this is guy interesting. for a while. So, okay. Now, having said that, and just off of the question from Jeff Sessions, uh, what is the latest on Q, your assessment, your um, observations, and your essentially decoding of whatever Q has posted in, in, in the, into the um, Ethernet or inter- on the Internet? Q is a dicey topic right now in the world of alternative media. Um, I've been following, you know, since day one. I'm continuing to follow. And what I've been doing, to be quite honest, is I don't have any desire to cover the conjecture and the, I guess, non-factual stuff that I can't prove. I don't find it valuable to, you know, I don't find it valuable personally. It's great to speculate about stuff. It's great to have predictions or insider information. But if I can't tangibly, like, do something with it, I don't cover it 100%, you know, the way I would cover the Freedom of the Press Foundation, for example. So I took a bunch of little bits and pieces out of things, and I put them I put them separately, and I'll make videos about them, and at the end I'll be like, oh, by the way, that was in a Q post, because people don't know the difference anyway. They're just like, wow, that's really interesting to learn. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, it was Q? <laughs> So I've been doing it like that because it just takes all the stigma away from it and it's still good information. Um, you know, he's, the Q, the Q people, whoever they are, have been a little bit more ballsy, for lack of a better word, lately. Um, and there's some interesting stuff coming out that's a little bit disturbing, but we all knew already. So 
if you've been doing this for any length of time, you know a lot of the information that is being, you know, dispersed right now. So I've been following it, but I haven't been as hot on the trail as I was in the beginning, only because of the change in tone, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, I, I've been, uh, I guess, monitoring it myself uh, whenever I see something come up, or and I see there has been some controversy. I don't visit those uh, the 4 HN boards, but um, I do get my uh, information. I do keep it, keep it uh, on track of it. And there is some some stuff that uh, that happened uh, just this last weekend that with the Russian plane crash and people attributing a name that he's saying that ended up being alive and it 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 is uh, when you get onto uh, I, I guess those message boards and other internet forums and uh, you know people it gets really fierce in there unless you are unless you understand that world of the internet I would not advise anybody to engage in it. But it is good to keep track of, of what's happening. As you said, there is good information coming out uh, about uh, a number of things, one of which I wanted to ask you this. We saw um, the white powder yesterday, Donald Trump's junior's uh, wife. I don't know. I can't Vanessa. get the words out. And then today, a counter, I guess what looks like a counter attack, Obama's office, white powder substance, hazmat called in. Um, what's going on? Are these? Do you, do you believe these are individual attacks? Is there something more coordinated here? Uh, are we going to start seeing? Uh, do you believe that we start to see a pattern of attacks like this? And do you believe the media and the media's craziness uh, against Trump is really bringing this on? I'll be honest. The media is weaponizing the people. It's like their sole purpose is to completely weaponize the people, split them apart, and get them to fight one another. Um, they're dangerous. At this point in time, their propaganda is extremist and it's dangerous and it's completely, you know, not based in fact. The things that these people say, I'm just, it's almost like they live in a different universe than we do. I, I don't understand it. It's, it's so disgusting. Um, I think that that has a lot to do with it. They used to yell about, you know, us conspiracy theorists and how we were going to be causing people to do crazy things. I think the media is more guilty of that than any conspiracy theorist, quote, ever could have been. Um, that being said, the white powder is very interesting. Now, it's not hazardous white powder. It's baking powder, from what I understand. Um, but you never know when it won't be. And it would be a little odd if they weren't connected, although they haven't really released enough information for us to know either way. Nor would I, nor would I expect that, by the way. I wouldn't expect, in, right, in a case right. like that, no, I wouldn't. But, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. The Assange Don Jr. incidents are interesting just because of the connection that those two have. Um, not like they talk to each other every day, just what's been what's been in the media about the two of them together, like the email, like the, the DMs back and forth. That was interesting to me. Obama, I didn't hear about until you just told me, so I'm not sure. But yeah, there was a story. Be- uh, sorry for jumping in there too early. There was a That's story okay. that broke today, and it was uh, his camp or his offices in D.C., which he acquired after uh, he left the White House in uh, January of 2017. I don't know if he was if he was even president or not. I doubt that he was. But there was um, some white powder they said that was suspicious that was sent to his office, and we haven't seen. Um, you know, we had the big anthrax attacks in 2001, but they, there hasn't really been much 
in this kind of uh, attack, real or not, in recent memory, and now to see two in just the same amount of days, uh, yeah, well, makes you wonder. Uh, yeah, high profile. Oh, so the Obama one was earlier in the year? No, the Obama one was today. And oh, okay. That's the, the one that, um, if, I think it's still on Dredge. If you go to Dredge, you can see the article. They're just slower and open than their mail. <laughs> but yeah, well, so that well, would be three then. That would be three. Obama, Assange last week. Um, oh, Assange. Yeah, Assange. Okay. That. All right. That's why I was saying the connection between those two was quite interesting to me. Um, yeah, he got it and he, you know, he tweeted and said that there was a, a, a U.S. stamp on the letter. So. How does that make it through diplomatic, um, the di- diplomatic wall? I don't know. Okay, he, I don't know curious. that he got the letter. I think that someone else opened it for him. Okay. Um, I also think it's interesting, and Doug and, and Joe, let me know what you think about this. Doesn't it seem like there have been, and this is just completely off the cuff, so it's not thought out all that much, but doesn't it seem like there have been a lot of, like, proof I'm in the embassy things happening with Assange lately? There's some news yeah. today. Uh, his, uh, uh, what do you have, an appeal to get rid of a warrant was denied. Yeah. Also, um, there's an article on RT. Assange expert tells RT WikiLeaks founders extradition fears are completely rational, as there's some debate over um, government documents that you have been coming be out. listening to that. You know, there is something a little bit strange mm-hmm. taking place. I- any inside scoop? No, I, I don't. But I know that I don't have one. But I know that there have been lots of visitors and public photos with visitors and posting of photos with visitors to the embassy and. I don't have any idea what's really going on, obviously, but it's just curious to me that all, well, he got a letter at the embassy. Like, it's just so many things in just a short span of time that it's, it's just making me, my hmm. light bulb go off. Very interesting. What else is making that, that light bulb of yours go off? Cause I, I trust your investigative instincts. I got, I got to tell you, you're, you got a good sniffer. And, uh, um, thank you. Uh, from an investigative point of view, I, I like how you do things. So, anything else? Uh, because I'm, I'm st- look, I'm still stuck on it, what I think is perhaps the biggest story of our lifetime, and that is the the the, the coup that's taking place right now, and that failed, of course, you know, uh, in, in the run up to the election. But uh, well, I, it seems it's ongoing, actually. Yeah. No, it, it <laughs> you is. You know, it really does. I mean, I mean, between these now, the 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 NSA supposedly paying a hundred thousand one installment of a million dollar payment to the New York uh, to a, a spy from Russia, to you know supposedly get back tech that they had yeah. stolen, which makes that's no all, sense whatsoever. And that's always a red flag right there. Uh, that that's cover for something more. The the uh, the encrypt or the uh, hacking tool. That, yeah. Okay. Anytime, and this was told to me in the same conversation with my FBI source, but, but in, in a different, uh, uh, talking about this, this differently, that's always a red flag. Uh, when you hear talking about like hacking tools or, um, paying like, kind of like almost like a ransom for a, a hacking tool, shall we say, or a reward. That's all. Well, they're already gone. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you going to do buying it back? They've got it already. They've got the tech already. They if do. they stole that, they've got it. And there's nothing that you're going to buy back from them. It, it's whoosh, yep. it's out there. So that was ridiculous. It was to buy information on Trump. Right. And it makes, you know, th- that pulls in the CIA aspect of all of this. Exactly. And we've been, we've been looking for that. 
you know, so now we've got it. Now we've got it, and now we can start figuring out what they had to do with all of this. And I had this major light bulb go off over my head with Papadopoulos a week and a half ago when the memo came out. Because in one of the points of the memo, they mentioned that Peter Strzok was investigating Papadopoulos from 2016 in a counterintelligence operation. And then we learned that Peter Strzok got demoted or let go from the special counsel investigation and was also demoted in the FBI in late July, which is exactly, I think, three days after Papadopoulos was arrested. Okay. Do you think that's a coincidence? Not at all. But okay, so you're focusing on Papadop, or you, in this case, you're you're looking at Papadopoulos, Papadopoulos, and that that stems back to the, um, or or does it stem back to that drunken bar? It does. Okay, all right. It does, and you know everybody was claiming that Carter Page was a mole, right? You know he was a Russian agent. That's completely untrue. He was working for the FBI. He was working for the FBI up mm-hmm. until the beginning of 2016. Yep. So okay. That's I'm putting Carter Page aside. I think Carter Page was unwittingly used as a scapegoat for those FISA warrants and I also believe that, you know, there's no way on God's green earth that he would be doing a talk show circuit with no attorney if he had anything to worry about. That's a good point. Just that's a real good point. By the way, I just want to say one thing, and then you can jump. Pay attention to, uh, to everyone should pay attention to this. The change in the NSA, but but the 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 fact that the NSA when when the wire, when they wiretapped Carter Page, uh, or did electronic surveillance on anyone, including but not limited to Carter Page, the number of of hops that take place. In, in, um, by hops, I mean. Uh, levels of contact, concentric cir- circles of contact. So, in other words, if if Carter Page sends you an email and then you send me an email, okay, that's right You're there. That's in that dragnet of right, surveillance. That's two hops there. Right, and that's the, what people are saying is that Carter Page was was used specifically <clears throat> as a uh, basically backdoor to surveil to, the yep, Trump campaign. Yep. And Tracy, I I do have an understanding of what Carter Page is doing, but you might have to help me out here. So he was working for the FBI, with the FBI, giving information on uh, Russian, it was a businessman, politician, mm-hmm. and corruption charges, right? It was real real Russian spies that right. were in America, and they approached him. He went, from what I understand, I could be wrong, but I doubt it, but he went to the FBI and said, hey, guys, these guys came up to me, and they said, would you work with us to grab these guys? And, t- and, you know, take him down. And he said, sure. And for two years, he worked with them, maybe three years. Three years, finally, they got the charges, you know, in and everything was done. So they used his travels to Moscow while he's working with the FBI as basically the only verifiable fact in the dossier on Trump. Is that right? Y- yes, that's literally the only thing in there that can be, he traveled to Moscow. That's it. There's nothing else that in- is in that dossier that can be proven. As a matter of fact, I disproved the dossier using the dossier. It is full of contradictions. It contradicts itself. Um, in the first page, it says Donald Trump um, was 
offered several sweetener business deals in order to get him to become, you know, to, to bribe him basically. And then later on, he's, and they say he refused them all and we don't understand why. And then a few pages down, it says Donald Trump was desperate for lucrative business deals in Russia. Well, if he's desperate, but he couldn't get any. So he had to sell for prostitutes literally in that language. Well, if you're dangling business deals in front of his face like a carrot and he refuses to take them, but he's desperate, does that make any sense to you? Someone desperate yeah. for business in Russia won't take a business deal in Russia. I mean, it makes about as much sense make... as, as CNN's reporting does, Tracy. It's it's crazy, and there are many more like that. Uh, Michael Cohen in Prague. You know, there's there's so many things in that dossier. It's just nonsense. And I've always said, like, if if the dossier, like, let's pretend that we're in a regular country where people follow the law and are upstanding citizens and everything. If our intelligence agencies fell for this dossier, legit fell for it, we have bigger problems than FISA warrants being granted. We have a bunch of, like, morons running the intelligence community. Yeah, because yeah, nobody no who reads that thing can can possibly... I mean, I don't know who E is, but you can't verify what E said. Even if Christopher Steele was, like, the Pope, you couldn't verify what E said. That's, and you can't yeah. use his word to verify what E said either. You know what I mean, Source E? Right, So. Yeah. And, and that's a good point. And we, we, I, we kind of dragged you out. I, I think it was me that dragged you off track of Papadopoulos, if you're looking okay. at him. Let's go back to him. Um, so where are we at, with, or what's going on with Papadopoulos in the entire scheme of things right now? Because, it, and just so everyone knows, all of, all, what we're talking about here is really the dossier is nothing but a bought and paid for document by the Hillary Clinton campaign. Right. Um, as Mark Levin said, it's Hillary buying a warrant. That's what it is, boiled down. Yeah. yeah, there it is. So, okay, now having, so everyone knows that, of course. Where does George Papadopoulos fit in, in this? It was, it, I've said this from the beginning, and it's one of the key linchpins on the Mueller investigation for me. One of the things that, that really makes me sit there and, and I can't get past it, and it keeps on coming up again and again. Papadopoulos was the one Hey guys, meet with this Russian. Hey guys, let's meet with this Russian. Hey, let me send you an email. Maybe we can meet with this Russian. Ties to Hillary Clinton, ties to the Clinton Foundation. He, Papadopoulos was connected to the people that were trying to run this dossier, uh, and grab whatever, you know, frame them however they wanted to, the Trump campaign. All of a sudden he happens to run into some, you know, diplomat of the highest order. In, in Downer in, in a bar in London and just happens to spill out that they have Hillary Clinton emails and, and then Downer who's connected to the Clinton Foundation just happens to tell the FBI and uh, Peter Strzok who's been investigating, um, you know, all of this, all the text messages, everything else just happens to be investigating Papadopoulos for a year and he just happens to be demoted three days after Papadopoulos gets arrested and is going to cooperate with Mueller in his investigation and wear a wire and become a government, you know, cooperate with the investigation. And then they fire struck three days later. It just, I'm sorry, but I think that Papadopoulos was a plant and I think he flipped to save his own behind. And I think that he's working with Mueller to take down the bad guys. Whoa. I just can't get past it. Okay, I just wow. can't. Listen, he, his plea deal specifically states that he is not allowed to speak to anybody connected to his charges. It is clear as day. And the only people in the charges are Trump associates and Trump. And 
inside of that, you know, we know why the, Mueller knew he lied and was lying because Mueller had all the emails that the Trump campaign had given to him. So they literally caught Papadopoulos because of the information that Trump provided to them. Okay. And then they, and then they said, you're, you're not allowed to talk to anybody connected to your charges, which is the whole Trump campaign. And then they said, you're going to be working with us. Who is he talking to then? All right. But, but okay. So, so, but to be clear in the larger sense, what you just said there is you're suggesting or really suggesting that, that Mueller is working on behalf of Donald Trump. I, I just can't get past the, the, the key facts here about this stuff. The Flynn plea deal, which you're starting to see a whole bunch of articles come out about it now again. It's being revisited once again, given that this whole Comey thing has come to light, that Comey told, you know, the agents told Comey he didn't lie about anything. Why did he take this plea deal? Everyone's like, oh, to save his career. Oh, to save his money. Oh, to save his son. No, I think he took the plea deal because it frees him to testify about anything he knew that was criminally happening within the government at any time. And he said so many times he wanted to tell his story and they wouldn't let him tell his story. So underneath this, he has a lot more freedom to do those things. Um, the other indictments from this Mueller probe tie back to the Clinton cabal. Manafort ties back to the Podestas. Yeah. You know, the, the, the attorneys for... Um, the other gentleman that was under indictment, I always forget his name, just stepped down and it's sealed and we don't know why. There's just, it's too many things for me to say, no, Mueller's a bad, I know everybody, everybody thinks that Mueller's a bad guy and that he, you know, because of 9-11 and Uranium One and everything, I get it. He met with Trump the day before he was chosen as special counsel. There was no way that that Trump could have picked him. The FBI. That's what they say, right. but there's no way that they could have picked him for FBI director. He had already been voted on to extend that term once already. It would have been completely unprecedented. There's no way it would have happened. Um, it, it just would have been so outside of the ball. There was a reason why he went there. Lots of people like to tell you that Admiral Rogers went to Trump Tower for no reason, and what happened the day after that? He moved to Bedminster. Right. So there's too many things that I can't say he's going after Trump. I just can't do it. I just, I have never been able to let it go. It's been over almost a year now that I've been investigating this and I still can't prove that he is not going after the other side. I can't. Okay. And absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. We, I get that. What about the, uh, didn't he just hire another lawyer or attorney who was highly connected to Clinton though? So right. you, you've got a, a team of vipers on, yeah. on, on Mueller's staff. They're all connected. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all Clinton sycophants. I know. Isn't that great? Listen to it. Wait, 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 wait what's going wait. on here? Yeah, hold on. <laughs> hold on. The, Tracy, the I think media. you and me disagree on the Robert Mueller thing. Uh, well, and, just, just uh, let I'll, me, let me go through this one okay. last point and you can, okay. I will, I will sit and listen to everything I have to say. The media has spent over a year saying how amazing, how upstanding, how above board, how uncorruptible, how straight and narrow Robert Mueller is. He has a team of Democrat lawyers working with him, right? Yeah. How fantastic would it be, and what would they possibly say if he started bringing out indictments against the people that I think he's going to bring indictments against? 
What would well, they say? They, they would say he was uh, not credible. They would attack him. Uh, like they would turn face like they do with every other issue. Yeah, yeah but I see what she's saying. I, I do too. And it's, I, I just, I can't see it, Tracy. I, I've, uh, I respect okay. your opinion, but I just can't see it from, well, uh, once this started to come up, we st- I started to do a little research more into Robert Mueller. And there are so many things that, I mean, from one of the main things is purging the FBI of the Islamic terrorism, uh, training manuals and uh, many other things that he did with the FBI um, training that dealt with Islamic terrorism. And then you have 9-11. I mean, there's so much there, but. You know, know, a lot of people would do a lot of things to save their own butt. And if the meeting the day before he was chosen as special counsel was an offer, or a peace offering or an olive branch saying, look, you are, you're in big trouble. This is all coming out. This is all going down. We're going to pick a special prosecutor no matter what. If we pick you and you do the right thing, maybe we'll throw you a bone and save you from all the nonsense you've been involved in your entire life and you can go quietly off into the night and do your thing. Interesting. Um, hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. And I can see your your line of reasoning and line of logic. And by the way, folks, you know if if in, and I used to say this in staff meetings and uh, uh, investigative meetings. You know, if everyone is saying the same thing and thinking alike, then only one person is really thinking. So this is good uh, to to really bring this out and to discuss this. Um, okay. So so okay. Now, now, given that scenario, what's the next step then? With respect to Mueller, I would expect to see. There, there, I have all these things floating through my head, like the Deutsche Bank. He's investigating Donald Trump and Deutsche Bank. Who else has a huge connection to Deutsche Bank? Good Hillary point. Clinton, yep, yep. massive. Anyway, um, I would expect to see indictments coming soon. More indictments. Something has to happen out of that special counsel. Like, I feel. Within a month or so, I feel like we'll see something. You know, it's about to break, right? We're right there. We're right there, right on the edge. I mean, Grassley releases a new letter like every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's happening, guys. It really is happening. And, and you know, it. I just, I really feel like there'll be something bombshell to come out of the Mueller investigation as soon it's, as it's the right time. They, You know there's nothing on Trump. There's nothing on Trump. There's nothing on anyone on his team. You know, well, Tracy, let me what ask are they? What if they bring an obstruction charge against Trump? Say For Mueller. What? So we'll say Mueller's not working with, uh, with Trump. Say the investigation is, is as we see it. And say they try to bring an obstruction charge against him for his firing of, of James Comey, which is one thing that they have talked about. And they seem to have moved from, at least when the news is talking about the collusion investigation into an obstruction investigation. Which, which would be about the only thing that he could be charged with or be labeled an unindicted co-conspirator, however. I mean, there's really nothing that, that, that would never stick. No, it wouldn't. It was completely right. within his rights to do that. So, oh, yeah. big deal. Let them do that. I mean, what are they going to accomplish? There's nothing that they will accomplish by doing something like that. Like, no, they know they that won't. too. The public's not behind them. And if the numbers in the house stay the same, they're not going to get any support there or any traction there. Um, the mm. CNN, sent some teams out to different parts of the country. One of those were Iowa, where they asked the some Trump supporters of all different backgrounds, and, and they made it diverse, what they thought of the Mueller investigation. 
And every single one of the persons that they asked uh, said how embarrassing and how awful it was, and they didn't believe it for a second. And I believe that's the sentiment of most of the American public, that they uh, don't believe Robert Mueller, they don't believe this Russia investigation. They've seen the hype for the last year with no evidence whatsoever. And I, I agree with you, even if they brought a charge against Trump, uh, if it's an obstruction charge, if it's some, you know, process charge, they're not going to get any traction. Nothing's going to happen with it at all. Uh, I agree with that. They completely have, they're, they are so desperate at this point. They have completely overplayed their hand. The Russian bot thing, I think, was the last straw for a lot of people. I hope so. (laughs) Like, I really, it was so over the top. Like, I couldn't believe what I was reading. I'm like, this is how desperate they are that they're going to attempt to. I mean, it was McCarthy. Oh, geez, it was just so bad. Sadly, people believe that. You know, there's a a segment of of the population that I just have to look at and say, what what is wrong with you people? You know, to to believe. Yeah. Yeah, It was so scary. Hmm. And they feel the same way about us. Yep. They're so programmed. They're so programmed. They don't realize it. That's the thing. Very they true. really don't believe like or do we know you know Schiff, <laughs> I think that we know the truth, but you know you know Schiff and 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 Feinstein or Feinstein and you know Comey and all these people, you know they know oh, yeah. what the truth is the, 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 there's something even the media you know it's if people search consciousness of guilt and um start thinking along those lines there there's something to the fact that Comey. Uh, and others like him and Hillary, they look at everything through the lens that everyone is doing the same thing that they're doing and corrupt. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really a unique perspective. Unique, not in a good way, but unique, uh, to the crew. The fact that, like, you know, and I also, you're right, and I ponder too, like, what about these journalists? Do they know the truth? And they're just like, what is, is their truth that Donald Trump is a Russian agent who's taken over the presidency or is their truth? Oh my God, we have to save our butts because we've been like mis either misreporting or we didn't realize this would happen. What is their truth? Because the people that are walking around that watch these media outlets, they believe what they're saying and they're, they don't realize that it's all fake and they're so Stockholmed that mm-hmm. they will not look at the evidence to the contrary. Like, at least you and I, if something came out about Trump being like corrupt, God forbid, or something, we would research it and, and be like, wow. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't just be like, no, that can't be true and just walk away. Well, this is what why I say it's a, these people. I say it's a spiritual <laughs> battle, Tracy, because I believe there's a lot more at play here when you see the disconnect, uh, that you talked about where, you know, we're looking after the truth and these people seem to, the ideology is their truth. And anything that, uh, doesn't fit in their ideology is, is, you know, looked upon as, as bad. And that includes especially Christians and conservatives and the Constitution and all these things. And I think it's a spiritual deception that we're seeing, uh, many people suffer from on both sides. Uh, you have a, a different kind of deception uh, with some Trump supporters who also take it, the, the support too far and aren't objective when looking at things. But, for the most part, what the problem that we're dealing with is on the left, on the other side, as they're trying mm-hmm. to introduce this, you know, moral depravity while being uh, attempting to be the moral authority on everything. It doesn't work. 
and they've been shown to be hypocrites time and time again on a daily basis. But I think it's a spiritual deception. Uh, uh, and Tracy, look, we're at the uh, top of the hour. We're facing a network break. So in closing, okay, yeah, it's quick. This is a great conversation. Thanks. Uh, now, just, just so everyone knows, April 7th, mark this on your calendar. That's Saturday, April 7th. Uh, Tracy Beans, uh, save the day. Join us in D.C. Operation Justice. There it is on your screen. Uh, Tracy, we will link to this. Please keep us posted on on the um, uh, on the progress and and so on. We'll keep we'll continue to promote this for you. Thank you so much. It was great to be here, guys. Thanks. It's great to have well, you. Thank you. Well, what a stimulating discussion that was. With Absolutely. Tracy. Yeah. Always love uh, talking with Tracy. Network break, folks. We're going to be back right after this. Stay right where you're at. Hysteria. Intelligence agencies expect Russia to terrorize midterm or to target midterms, as they say, it is a uh, perfect ground for their influence operations in the elections. But uh, in all seriousness, there is stuff going on in Syria with Russia, Israel, Iran, Turkey, and the United States. As there's a, uh, we were talking about this earlier off air, a strange battle apparently that took place where hundreds of or a hundred or more right contracted russian mercenaries were killed in an attack on a kurdish joint u.s base very vague in the details coming out about that you know i've often i've always said joe russia is going to or um uh, world war three is going to start in syria not iran or not in korea but that's just me yeah the israeli jet shot down a u.s yeah. jet destroys a russian battle tank in syria in self-defense um, and so much going on. Damascus warns Israel of more surprises. Very interesting. And, uh, you know, keep your eyes on Syria. You don't know what's going to happen there. And it's, isn't it amazing that they say ISIS is defeated, but yet all these countries are still in Syria. There are still battles going on in Syria. And now are we going to see a change from the ISIS targeting to Assad-backed government targeting? That looks like what might be happening. And I believe Trump needs to get the U.S. out of Syria or at least inform the American people on what's really going on over there because there's something much more going on than a battle against ISIS. Boy, you've got that right. There, and every day there's a new headline. There's domestic news. There's geopolitical news all across the, the world. And Syria is indeed a hot spot. You know, so we have to keep our eyes on all of this. Now, I, I want to welcome uh, a sponsor of ours, eHarmony. Man, I'll tell you, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Let me ask you a question. Are you going to be spending it alone do you know people who actually don't have anyone? I do. And, and it's, for some, it can be a lonely time of year, uh, Valentine's Day. How many people do you know that don't have significant others? Well, I, I gotta tell you this, uh, and this is a true story. Now, I, you often hear me speak about my neighbor, and he's got a son. Well, they both, him and his wife have a, have a son, and, and he used eHarmony. And right now, they are in the sixth month of their relationship. 
really a nice girl, really, uh, and he's a he's a great great young man, folks. If you are trying online dating, chances are you've run into lazy text messages and dead end conversations and random matches that just they, they don't turn into dates. They don't turn into anything. You, you can't get to know someone just by looking at their picture. I'm going to tell you about eHarmony, and as I said, Brett's really, uh, and that's his name, he, he's, he really has found a really nice girl, six months and counting. This is really, it's really great, and, and it's really it's really a great service. In fact, I was able to speak with a representative of eHarmony, and uh, now I'm married, so, you know, hey, my wife would not like it if I did this, but, but I kind of got a backdoor kind of insight into what's going on with and how they do things. And it, to me, it, it um, I was just amazed at how precise how uh, thorough their vetting process is. Now, you've listened to us for a long time. You know, we talk about vetting. Uh, we talk about the whole, that whole process. But, but think about this for the, the person that perhaps you're going to be spending the rest of your life with, and, and being, being the fact that tomorrow's Valentine's Day. This is something you could do tonight. And, and I would urge you to check this out. Let me give you some, let me give you some uh, things to, to think about here. You know, eHarmony is un, unlike many of the other online dating sites. And they take steps that other dating sites don't in order to find you the much more compatible match. They are built to help you find lasting, meaningful relationships, not a shallow hookup site. They have helped over a million people find their perfect match. And I bet you, you probably know somebody out there who, uh, who has found their perfect match via eHarmony. If not, you know someone who knows someone who has. They've been around for for a number of years, man. This is the site. And I'll tell you, I checked them out. I, I, I really like them. They do bring compatible people together. Now, there are plenty of hookup sites out there. That's what, that, that is not what, uh, you know, this is. Okay. Um, right now, our listeners can get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three month subscription. So think about this. The day before Valentine's Day, do yourself a favor. Okay, just go to eHarmony, enter my code Hagman at checkout. So stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. And it can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, go to eHarmony. And, of course, we've got a link on our website, eHarmony.com. And, hey, three months, when you sign up for three months, You'll get a month free with eHarmony when you use Hagman at checkout. That's eHarmony.com. Use Hagman, H-A-G-M-A-N-N at checkout. Again, eHarmony.com. Use, when, when, when you, when you sign up for three months, you get a free month free. Go to eHarmony.com, enter Hagman at checkout. And again, it's, it's a great time of year to be thinking about this. And, uh, I know others are, I, I do know a couple of other people who are using eHarmony and having a great experience. And it's a great, it's very thorough. You're going to be very pleased. eHarmony.com. And welcome. And thanks for sponsoring our program. Great yeah, people. Absolutely. Right. Have you seen, uh, okay, we all know that uh, the Omarosa in the White House was let yeah. go. Did you read Pierce Morgan's article? From no. The, okay. No, I didn't. Thankfully. Well, what's Hagen up with you? You're stalking the. I like Pierce Morgan now. He's turned a corner. So Pierce Morgan. Pierce Morgan is, is, is becoming a conservative. He's, he's a Donald Trump fan uh-huh. because of his time on the Celebrity Apprentice. 
Okay. And boy, does he take Omarosa to task I, you know, in I, this I, article, she, even saying that she, wow, she tried to ha- have sex with him. Uh, and then when he denied her advances, the, the homophobic and uh, racist slurs that she, uh, things she said to him are coming out. And man, it, this is an interesting article. Um, which I have no reason to doubt. I, I don't know. She, this Omarosa, we got famous from her celebrity or her apprentice in 2004 appearance, right. and it showed the the character, the kind of person that she was. So when I read this story, it rings very true. But man, uh, there's a, the wife beater, the witch in the White House. Why did Trump ever hire Omarosa? You know, you know, with look with any big business, and I've been around big businesses, you're going to have. Things go sideways. People go sideways. Even mm-hmm. with the best of businesses, mm-hmm. and even in the White House, and a big deal is being made about. And I have seen this about. Well, look at the security clearances, the lack thereof. What about the Clinton administration? What about Obama? You talk about lack of security clearances. Oh my goodness! And, and, and you're looking at the Donald Trump administration. Suddenly, you're waking up behind this, and, and that's a good. That's a that's a very good uh, uh, example there with the Amarosa or whatever her name is. Uh, crazy stuff there. Um, and I, I I did see a clip. What is she starring on now? Big Brother. Okay, Big Brother, where she's she's whispering. You know, hey, uh, people can still hear you. Okay, but anyway, yeah, whispering about the. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't are, believe. Are we in trouble? Oh yeah, we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't believe her Seriously? at all. Um, if. if <laughs> If folks are unfamiliar with her and you did not watch The Apprentice, I think it was the first year it was on, the lady uh, basically will do and say anything to to try to win or to get ahead. And recounting here Pierce Morgan's story, it seems that uh, she's trying to, not only, she not only has continued to do that after the 2004 Apprentice, she did this through the Celebrity Apprentice and her time at the White House, and now apparently is trying to get some kind of a book deal or maximize profits from her time in the White House. So, of course, she's going to throw out teasers uh, like she did immediately after she was um, done at the White House, like they said she would do on Big Brother, and now she is doing it. So I would expect to see some kind of, you know, reality TV show separate from Big Brother and or a book deal, uh, because you know the the left is going to give it to her. To, to hear what bad things she has to say about Trump, they can't get enough. Of that. I, I just, I, I have when when people appear on on television like that, the the mo, I mean, the story becomes about them, and, and then that just everything goes haywire. So, yeah, I, I just have my doubts about that. But but then again, the the left is is really uh, focused in on this, and, and you know who the biggest in in my view, one of the biggest offenders on the left. I I, I cannot. I personally cannot stand any of the late night comedians. I don't oh, care no. who it is, but especially one of the most vicious and visceral feminists, pro pro you know murder of of uh, unborn children, and, and pro homosexual, and anti anything good is that Samantha B. Okay, and I'm going to tell you right now, there's a TV show that she has as a producer of. It's just as oh, I saw the detour. That. Yeah, you know, I I I accidentally I. Excellent. No, watch that. I tried to watch it with uh, with my wife. And oh man, that's cool. They start, I mean, the, the uh, attacks on on Christianity and oh yeah, of course, it's, uh, the worst of the worst that you can imagine. The, the, so. the, you know, Samantha B had uh, uh, I, it, it, it's like kind of watching a train wreck. You just can't. It, you have to like watch it because you, 
you know how it is. Or watching a car accident in slow motion. It's, it's just horrible. But, but, uh, square dancing. The, the last episode that she, that I saw that she had, I, I was like glued to, uh, listening to her. And it, it's Black History Month, uh, popping the, um, opening the Black History Month, calling, uh, racism or, uh, uh square dancing racism, racist. Uh, everything you can imagine. And I don't know if it was satire, but if it was, it was poorly done. I'm not uh, sure it was that there. That's the no, style. you know, uh, but, but I mean, okay, so, uh, square dancing has its roots, has racist roots. Uh, the, uh, the music on the ice cream jingle truck. I mean, this is their mentality. Well, everything. What, you know, again, race. the only thing I, I look at, I'd say, what is wrong with you people? Okay? I, I mean, statues. Come on. Man. They focus on the, uh, on the most ridiculous things. If you notice, uh, CNN and, and these other organizations, everything is about race with them. I mean, everything. And, and they're, they're these people are the racist ones. Uh, and let's talk for a second about the Obama portraits that we started to talk about yesterday. <laughs> There's a piece up on Hagman Report. Now, I did not see this come out yesterday. I did not find this till this morning. But there's a, a very interesting article about, now two different painters painted the, uh, Barack Obama painting and the Michelle Obama painting. And the Michelle Obama painting, the artist who painted her painting is known for paintings depicting black people beheading white people. For, wait, wait, depicting black people beheading? Obama's portrait artist is known for paintings of black people beheading white people. The official portrait art? of the Obamas are unveiled today. To much buzz and criticism, the artist who painted Barack Obama's portrait uh, uh, Kedlin Wiley, a well-known far-left gay painter whose work is radically, I'm sorry, racially charged. Anyone with eyes can see Wiley uses race as his main subject. Wait a minute, I thought now, it was a, I thought, that was, wait a minute, that was I thought for this Barack was a, Obama. A, oh, Barack Obama. There okay. was two separate painters for, right. for either painting. All right. So, uh, the Michelle Obama painting, which just to me was, I, uh, if, if, if I gotta tell you, if, if 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 I ask for a portrait to be done, or um, if that, I I'd want my money back. Yeah. In fact, I'd and want Eric damages. Said, you know, go to the Smithsonian uh, website and look at all the other presidential portraits and look at how their Obamas fit into this. And it Man. is um, it it's pretty well, bad. Again, what is wrong with with the society and people and and again the art the um and we discussed this yesterday too uh the the uh the art has been hijacked our culture the art art is reflective of of a culture i believe and i i love great paintings i love the landscape the oil the 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 um uh the great paintings but but we we saw everything go off the rails with this abstract art back in the what the 60s you know the the um okay it is wild the, the Warhol stuff. No, not that's not the female. No, no. Apparently, unless this article is getting their facts wrong, the only I've read I read this article and I heard Savage from yesterday talking about the the painter this. that did uh, Michelle Obama is a female. Okay, well, or at this, least that's what this uh, uh, Stephen or Stephen Molinux asked. Why exactly did Barack Obama choose Wiley to paint his presidential portrait? Wiley has a habit of painting black people holding knives. And the freshly severed heads of white people. And, it's sort of a plan on kill whitey, right? Thing, is okay. what they say. And, uh, um, indeed. It says the original painting by Carivago is the, a depiction of the apocryphal tale of Judith who saved the Jewish people from death at the hands of the Assyrian general 
by seducing him and cutting off his head in his sleep. But in the painting, a black woman is holding the depicted head of white, of a white woman. And there's more than one painting. But why, uh, you're talking about a presidential portrait. But that's not the official, official no, portrait. No, but still. I mean, yeah, I get it. Why, I mean, I, I, why continue to add fire? Why, why throw gasoline on the fire? Well, why does look, it always have to be about race? Why does this it always is have to be legacy. about, uh, racist? You know, you, you, uh, who was it? It was, a, there was an actor, Kevin Sabo, I believe is his name, who is starting to actually tweet more politically and on the right side of things. And he says, you know, in America is the only country that calls its own citizens racist and Nazis while it calls the illegal immigrants dreamers. And it's, it's more of a, uh, he picks up off this into different ideas of this, but, you know, every, the white people are all racist by default. And the black people who are, uh, and other minorities who are racist, openly, that's okay. All that's okay. And then the celebrating the cult, that kind of culture and that kind of mentality by having Obama. Right. Uh, use this, this painter. It doesn't that bring more controversy? Doesn't that bring more racial tension? Of course it does. The, so, and I think that that's the intent. Especially, well, look, exactly. Tie this intent. into, tie this into the entertainers of the, at night. Um, the, the, uh, the people who, the, the comedians of the late night talk shows. Tie this into, to all of Hollywood. Uh, to, they, look, this is all this, this, uh, convoluted stream. This attack on the biblical family. The attack yeah. on our culture. The attack on, and, and no one is going to make me feel guilty about being white. No one's going to make me feel guilty about being in America. No one's going to make me feel guilty about anything. And, and by the way, uh, in that regard, you know, I, I hear this all the time. Well, people make you, or people make me feel right. blank. And look, <laughs> you need to give them permission to get inside your head. If they're inside your head, that's not a bad place to be. So, all I'm saying in that respect is, look, you. Um, you listening to this are stronger than that. Don't give them permission to get inside your head. With that, I'm going to kick it no, off. And just one last thing. It seems like uh, any more, and maybe this is being done on purpose, it probably is. Anything the media <clears throat> is against, <laughs> and this is bad to say this, anything the media you know says is bad, I automatically want to like, I don't even know what it is or, or you know what's going on. But That could be dangerous just, too, though. It, no, it so. is. That's what I mean. I, I think there's a, uh, some calculation in there uh, that these people... Uh, do this on purpose, and they know what they're doing. Hey, we have to maintain our critical thinking all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so, all right, go we ahead. can't let the emotions or uh, yeah. our, you know, political leanings dictate our thought process and our feelings. But with that, we have uh, a guy we've had on uh, several times in the past, the host of X Twenty Two Report, Dave. And it's been a while since we we've had John. Uh, Dave, welcome back to the show. Do you remember when the last time you were on was? Uh, actually, I don't. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great well, to thanks. have you. Thanks for thanks for coming on our show. Immensely wow. popular, immensely popular X twenty two report. Go to x twenty two report dot com, and of course uh, x, at x twenty two report on Twitter. So, uh, and YouTube as well. Or YouTube biggest. Okay, Eric Tech just said, "Hey, don't forget, don't forget YouTube." <laughs> okay, so so if you um, Dave, if uh, you want to plug your YouTube channel as well, go ahead. Yeah, it's just uh, it's X22 Report on YouTube. So if you type in X22 Report, um, it'll bring you right to the YouTube channel. Or I have my interview channel, which is X22 Report Spotlight, where I interview different people. So if you just type in X22 Report Spotlight, it'll bring you to that channel. So those okay. are the those are the two channels. Well, 
Dave, it's great to have you back on. There's so many topics, uh, so much going on in the world. And I know you have a, a few things that, that we're, areas we're going to touch on. Uh, where do you think we should start today? Should we start with the uh, economy? Should we start with the scandals in D.C., what's happening in Syria? We've kind of touched on all these tonight before you came on. Where would you like to begin? Uh, I wanted to start off with uh, the economy. Okay. And um, before I started, I was listening um, to what you were saying about um, how they were saying, um, you know, different things about, like, racism and stuff like that. What I what I boil all this down to is it has nothing to do with facts. It has nothing to do with um, any type of proof. What they like to do is they like to bring emotion into the conversation. So anytime you hear something that has to do with race or let's take down statues or it, they're trying to drive emotions to get people emotional about the topic. They don't care, you know, about facts or anything like that. As long as they can get a group of people emotional, that's all they care about. And if you notice, uh, you know, going back, you know, months or a year and you saw all these people out there, you know, taking down stats, it's always about emotion and they're screaming and, and they're yelling and, and things like that. And they're still trying to do it because that's how propaganda works. It's about, um, you know, bringing your emotions to the highest level, making you stop think. Uh, so you're not thinking at all. All you're doing is get em- getting emotional about the uh, topic, and that's how I see it all. I just see that they never show any type of proof, just like the corporate media when they said, you know, Russian collusion. You know, everyone, they just kept on saying it over and over and over, and everyone got very emotional about it. But no one ever really asked for any proof. <laughs> you know, right. where's the documentation? Where, Where's, you know, how do you know this? Where, Where's the actual <laughs> yeah. proof of all of this? They never do that. It's just, that's crazy to me. Well, this emotional response that you talk about, it, is this to get people to behave a certain way? You mentioned, uh, you know, to, to stop really looking for facts, uh, to buy into things more. What are some of the reasons that you would want to, um, to, to make somebody's emotions, you know, be triggered in that way? What the benefit well, would it have? Well, since they don't have, uh, facts, since they don't have proof, and it's pure propaganda, uh, they need to rely on emotion to get people to do what they need them to do. And this way, most of the people uh, that I speak to, and, and it's funny because I, my, my kids and their friends, I notice they get very emotional about certain topics and they stop thinking. They don't, you know, ask questions. They just get emotional and they just continually get heated um, with what is going on and they never stop to think. And I think that's why they do it. I think they do it on purpose so everyone stops thinking, so everyone doesn't ask questions and they just go for whatever they have to do. I mean, like examples of like, um, out in Syria and things like that where, you know, they show pictures of, uh, bodies that were gassed and things like that. Yes, that is the aftermath of what happened. It builds emotion. They can show it to Congress. People can see it on C-SPAN. It builds incredible emotion because you're seeing people, they're hurt, they're, you know, they're, they're suffering, but they never say, well, this is the link between these people and what the Syrian government did. They always leave that part out. It's almost like a murder trial when they hold up a gun and they show a dead body, and they say this gun killed that dead body, 
and here's the person that used it, but they never show a link. They just show pieces of it, and they never show actually how this person did it, you know, what were all the facts. This is the same thing the corporate media is doing, the same thing like Nikki Haley and all these individuals. They just show, oh, here's a missile system, and, you know, you have to believe whatever we're saying, and we don't have to show any other proof. And I think this is what they've been doing all along. And emotion shuts people down. They don't ask questions. And they, they they can get by with using this type of propaganda. But I think things are definitely changing. Times are changing. People are now asking for proof. How do you know this? Where are the facts? And I think it's slowly changing now since Trump has been out there continually saying fake news, fake news, fake news. Because the reason he's saying all of this, he wants people to start thinking again. You know, well, why is he saying fake news? What, why does he mention that? And there are people now searching, you know, the alternative media and other radio shows like your, yourself, and they're, they're trying to figure out what is going on. And, you know, why is he saying this? What's the, what's the reason for this? And, you know, he's starting to prove that they are making these things up. I mean, look at the Russian collusion story. I mean, that whole thing completely fell apart. The New York Times had to say, yeah, this isn't true anymore. We had DHS come out and they had a, you know, say something about the NBC story where they, you know, took the words and they mixed it all around and they made it seem like, you know, Russia actually penetrated the election system and DHS had to come out and say, no, this is not the conversation we had. This is not what I said. And they had to backtrack on all of that. And we can see as time goes on, I think what's happening right now is everything is changing. And I know I wanted to start off with the economy, but um, what I see happening right now uh, in the corporate media, which is the mouthpiece of the intelligence agency, the deep state, the cabal, you know, everyone has, there's all different factions and everything um, mixed up in this whole big thing here. But what is happening is that the corporate media is still pushing the agenda of the deep state, the cabal. They're still pushing what they want. And every time you hear something like North Korea, they can fire a ballistic missile, it can hit the United States, they're this close, we need to go and attack. They're building attack forces to go in there, and we're going to go in and take out Kim Jong-un. They're continually doing this because this is what they want. This is not what's really happening, and I've been reporting on this, and, and people call me crazy. People said I'm out of my mind, but when I really look at this, I don't look at what people say. I look at actions and what is really happening with what they're actually doing, not what they're saying. And Trump, I have to say, uh, is very smart in the way that he maneuvers around the corporate media. They make him look like a bumbling oaf and they make him seem like he's crazy because they have to do that because they have to build emotion. He's, you know, he's a misogynist pig, he's a racist, and they keep doing this because that's building emotion and that's all people hear and that's all people repeat. But what he's doing, and that's why I think Q Anon, I think it's actually him um, putting all this out there. That's my personal opinion. I, I think it's really him putting this stuff out there because what he's actually doing is he's keeping the corporate media, the deep state busy with all of this stuff that they want. 
And that's why he keeps saying, like, oh, you know, our button's bigger than North Korea. You know, we're going to take him down. He, he uses all the same language that they would use. But behind the scenes, behind all of that, what they were really doing, and I believe Tillerson was in on this, they were playing good cop, bad cop on this whole thing with North Korea. Tillerson was saying, no, no, we want peace, we want this. And Trump was out there saying, no, we're going to go in there, we're going to get him, you know, no way he's going to cross, he never says red line, we're, we're going to get him. And he, they were doing this on purpose to keep the deep state, the corporate media, everyone busy. In the meantime, they kind of duped the deep state because this double freeze plan that China and Russia wanted, well, Trump, the administration, Tillerson, the rest were in on it, and they actually got it if you really think about it, because the Olympics came up, they wanted to have a drill during this period of time, and what they did was, they said, we're not going to have a drill, and that's what China and Russia said, well, if you stop the drills, North Korea will not fire a missile or test a nuclear weapon. And guess what happened? Well, we didn't have a drill, and when was the last time they had a firing of a missile or a nuclear weapon? They haven't. So the double freeze plan is actually working. Now Trump came out and said, oh, now I will speak to Kim Jong-un with no preconditions. This is all part of the plan. As he and his administration, and there's a lot of patriots behind him, it's not just him, as he gains strength and as he continually takes more and more control away from the deep state, we're already seeing it where he's not saying the things that they are saying. He's coming out and saying the complete opposite. That, no, we're not doing this. We want peace. We want this. And we're going to see a lot more of this. But I don't want anyone to think that the deep state is down for the count or they're, they're finished. Um, they're, they're losing. And this is where I think everyone should get a little nervous here because they, they always stick to their goals. They're, they're never going to back down. They're going to fight to the bitter end. And they're preparing, I do believe, and I think QAnon actually said this in all capital letters, uh, a major false flag. Be wary that something like this could happen. And I do believe this is what they're really building up to because they really have nothing left. I mean, we've seen many, many events in Syria with um, the 200 um, Russian, well, really, they're paid mercenaries that were shot down um, by a... Um, I think it was an AC-130 gunship. And, I mean, that's pretty darn powerful. It's a huge plane. And um, I think this was um, taken from the C-130 Hercules, and it was retrofitted with, you know, 25-millimeter Gatling guns, 40-millimeter weapons, and they're come sticking out of the side. And it's a huge, you know, uh, gigantic plane that just came in and shot down the 200 Russian or the paid mercenaries. They're saying they're Russian paid mercenaries. But if you watch Putin and you watch how he maneuvers and what he does, he wouldn't just send, you know, 200 uh, soldiers, paid mercenaries or Russian troops into this situation because they have radar systems all over the place. They can see this gigantic plane coming. There would, there'd be no way that he would do this. Second of all, they have an open communication channel with the United States. They know where each of the troops are at all times. And what I think, uh, what I think happened here 
is that this is either the CIA or some other Intel op or maybe Israel that actually um, got together these paid mercenary groups and said, listen, we need you to march in here. They flew the plane in because what they're trying to do with all these little mini events, they're trying to get something started. They want a war. They want you know, to reach their goal, and, and they're continually doing this. They, they haven't stopped at all. And we can see right now that uh, the French defense uh, minister, uh, Mattis, they all said there's no proof for, uh, no proof of any chemical weapons uh, used uh, in Syria whatsoever because Assad didn't use the chemical weapons. And what we see yeah. right now is Russia got a tip that uh, the um, militants, the al-Nusra front, they're planning some type of uh, chemical attack because they spotted uh, containers filled with chlorine. They're bringing, in the, bringing them into the Idlib area. And it looks like they're planning to do this because if you look at Emmanuel uh, Macron, he said, listen, if we get proof, we're going to go in there and, you know, strike into Syria. And they're saying, okay, everyone's saying there's no proof. We're going to give them proof. We're going to stage this with the white helmets. And, you know, they've done this before. This is nothing new. And we can see this is exactly what is happening right now. And the deep state, they are not going to give up because what is happening, I'm going to bring this back to the economy here, um, is that we're, we're in the midst of a transition. Now, before, if like Hillary Clinton got elected, um, the whole economy would have come down. We would have gone to war and they would have blamed the economy coming down because, um, either we had a cyber attack or any type of an event or something like that, but the economy would have come down very hard, very quickly, because they don't care who gets hurt, just like in 2008. They don't care who gets hurt. They don't care um, what happens. What we have right now is that the deep state, the central banking system, they want still to bring the system down. Trump, on the other hand, and the administration... They're trying to maneuver us into a soft transition. The system is dead. There's no place for it to go. And everyone keeps talking about his, his budgets. They keep talking about, you know, his tax bill. They keep talking about the infrastructure plan. And when you step back and you forget about like, oh, let's try to make the, this system better. Let's try to fix it. It's unfixable. It's, it's almost like having a corporation that has so much debt that all they can do is go bankrupt. So what does the corporation do? Well, they spend more money because they know they're going to go bankrupt and they're just going to, you know, wipe out the debt. The same thing is happening right now. He's not doing it to make the economy better in the system that we're in. This is a central banking system. Uh, if you ever notice in the White House, he has Andrew Jackson hanging on the wall behind him. There's a reason why he has Andrew Jackson hanging on the wall. Andrew Jackson, his whole campaign was to get rid of the central bank. Trump right now, and I do believe that his mission is to steer us away from the central bank. There's no need for a central bank. There's no need for the IMF. There's no need for the biz. There's no need for any of this. And the central banks right now are very, very worried. They're worried because of blockchain technology. And a lot of people think, well... You know, the CIA created that. Um, it's really a central banking tool. And I've, I always say to them, well, if 
the blockchain or the cryptocurrencies was, let's say, a central banking tool or was created by the CIA or this whole thing's a PSYOP, then why would they create a tool? And the central banks, they work on debt. Uh, this is how they run their system. You borrow from them, it's attached with interest, and you have to repay them whatever, the principal plus interest. Why would they create a system that you can create currency with no interest attached? It makes no sense. It, it, they wouldn't do it. And this is why they're very, very nervous about what is happening. This is why they've been demonizing Bitcoin. And they just say Bitcoin because that's what everyone knows. They're doing it saying that, you know, terrorists use it, um, criminals use it, they use it for money laundering, they use it for all these different things. But really what they're really afraid of, and this is why they keep demonizing it, because they understand that if the people understood what the crypto market was, understood that you're creating currency without them, people would, uh, and, and people realized what this really was, where you're able to do this without interest attached, the central banks would be finished. And this is why they're continuing, this is why JP Morgan came out with the Bitcoin Bible. This is why there are two New York Fed economists out there saying that, you know, cryptocurrency, it, it can't go anywhere because it's created out of thin air. It's not backed by anything. It's a Ponzi scheme. Well, actually, isn't that what the dollar is? It's exact, it's created out of thin air. It's not backed by anything. It's one gigantic Ponzi scheme. We have a central bank that we won't even, that they won't let us audit. Um, so really what they're doing is they're trying to stop everyone, just like they did with precious metals. You know, it's a barbarous relic and things like that. They're trying to steer everyone away. And I think what they're doing with the crypto market, with the economy, is because they understand that we're going to be moving most likely into this transition into some type of cryptocurrency. Don't know what it is as of yet, but we will be on the blockchain and it will be without the central bank. I do believe this is the entire plan um, that they're trying to do. I mean, the other you know, part of it is getting rid of the deep state, getting rid of those players. Yes, we're going to have to do that. They're going to have to make a lot of arrests. We're going to have to change a lot of people in government. I mean, we're going to – when we say reset, and I know we've been saying reset for quite a while, reset is not just the economy. Reset is everything. Reset the government, reset the corporate media, reset the economy, reset getting away from the central bank, our currency, the way we do trade. Actually, Trump is very fascinated with Xi Jinping, the one belt, one road system, and I do believe that we will be entering into that trade system. And eventually, we were going to have to, because right now, the only way we have trade is with the petrodollar, and that's going down the tubes. But we can see that this, everything, all all of this, everything in the Middle East, everything in North Korea, everything with the Clintons, everything with the deep state, everything with um, the central bank, it's all intertwined into what he's doing right now. And I know in the beginning stages when he was first elected, people wanted him to, you know, move very quickly and drain the swamp, but for those people who worked in large corporations, you're brought in as a manager and you have a team and there's people there that have been there for a long time. You just can't come in and change everything. It's completely impossible. And I think when he came into office, he didn't realize how deep this ran and how how much control they had. But we can see that this is changing right now. 
And I know I went on to a lot of different topics. Well, <laughs> and no, just to, uh, just to get everyone on board of what is happening here. It's uh so you believe that Trump is going to replace the the dying dollar system with another economic system, whether that's rolling out a new currency or uh, you know the blockchain technology. You think that they're going to have to move away from the central banking model because uh, we know and we've talked about this on our show a lot how. Uh, eventually we cannot sustain this system that we have and all the debt and, and everything tied to it. We know if the dollar goes down it, as the world reserve currency, what that does to our economy, what that does to prices. And, you know, every country in the world pretty much is tied to it. But at some point it does have to, to die, uh, just by, based on the systems that have, have been set up and how they have turned it into a debt based currency and you think that will be replaced by the blockchain technology that's pretty interesting yeah i i do believe that the blockchain will take over for this because you know um the blockchain is a is a truth machine and people don't see it as that because what's what what happens is there's ledgers on each one of these systems around the world and the ledgers keep track of who has what now it's done by addresses. You really don't have names, but you can trace it back to who has what. Even if something happens, you have multiple systems that can repair the ledger. And it's very difficult to, uh, manipulate the ledger because it's not centralized. Remember, a central bank is centralized. They can control everything. They can control the creation of the currency. They control the banks. They control what happens with the blockchain there is no centralization right it's all decentralized around the world and i do believe because right now i think rand paul is reintroducing the audit the fed bill and trump is actually behind this and you know the fed does not want to be audited at all and i think if this gets through he will support it and this will just be another phase in resetting the entire system i mean he has Andrew Jackson on his wall. Everything he does is done for a reason. It's not just, oh, you know what? I like Andrew Jackson. I'm just going to hang him on the wall. looks really nice. There's a reason why he has all these things and what he's doing and, you know, how he's playing everyone. And there's a reason he placed Andrew Jackson. I mean, he could have put anyone up there. But Andrew Jackson is known for getting rid of the central banking system. And I do believe that this... It's, is it going to happen tomorrow? No. He still has other things to do. The other people behind him have other things to do. And it takes a little while because you have to remember these individuals have been in government for a very long time. The central bank has been intertwined into our system for a very long time. And for everyone to think that, oh, I can come in and, you know, 12 months later, I can just clear everything out, reset everything, and everything's going to be great is ridiculous because they're not, these people are just not going to walk away. They're not just going to say, okay, you know, we give. Thank you very much. That was great. It was a great run, but we're just going to be on our way. They're not going to give up their control. There's no way. The deep state, right. all those individuals, the central yeah. banks. Central banks, they have been, well, they've been around for thousands of years, but they like the control. Think about what they can do. They can create currency, put countries into debt, control the country, country, tell them what to do, tell the people what to do, and 
make countries do things that they normally wouldn't do. They like sell off their assets. This is control for them. This also feeds into corruption. It feeds into the deep state. This is where they get their funds. It feeds into how we can control the rest of the world, like placing sanctions on other countries. It's all created from this area. And everyone, if you really step back and take a look at it, you don't realize, and they stay, you know, behind the scenes. They don't let people really know what's going on. They let, you know, the politicians out front deal with everything. They let the intelligence agencies deal with everything. But really, these central bankers, they've been calling the shots. They create wars. They do all of this. And a lot of people don't realize it. It's almost like, you know, when the corporate media is out there saying, well, these are the richest people. Gates, Oprah, those aren't the richest people. Those are the people that we they want us to know that are the richest people. But the richest people are what? The Rothschilds? and others that have to do with the central banking system. But they never mention those people. No, they because don't. Because they stay very quiet behind the scenes. They, people don't realize central banks have been causing wars. Actually, before the central bank, there was no such thing as world wars. There, there was there, there, Actually, if you look at the British uh, the government, they went to wars. The central banks funded their wars. They're the ones who, who pushed this. Because they make money on the war and they make money on the rebuilding after the war. So yeah. we can see right now, I think Trump's is, is end game here is to go after the central bank. After, you know, we have the cleanup of everything else and everything else is reset. I think that is his last, um, piece of, uh, his, his mission is going to go after that. And I don't think we're going to have a central bank. Um, dealing with our economy because we really don't need it. There's no reason for it. They don't do anything for us. No, they just take our money through interest and create debt. And, you know, as far as one of the things that really bothered me uh, about the media and uh, our society when Ron Paul ran for president in 2000 and when was that, 2008 and 2012 when he, the last two times uh, Obama ran, was that he was the only candidate ever that we ever heard, you know, questioning the Federal Reserve banking system, even though knowing, uh, so everybody knew how corrupt and, and backwards that the system was, and you know the historical attempts of trying to implement the bank here until they finally were successful in that endeavor. And over the last hundred and so years, we have turned, they have turned this, you know, once very fruitful and prosperous economy into the you know pretty much the biggest black hole debt on the market in the world today and that's just only in a hundred years something has to give either way either they're going to have the wholesale takeover or somebody's got to put them out of business now when we're talking about putting them out of business i mean this is a, a force that if that was attempted they would not go down without a fight without a war without a world war uh, i mean how many people are tied to the success of the Federal Reserve and U.S. dollar or the sustainability of it right now? That would not be good for anybody, as, as even though the end result of getting rid of it would be the best thing that could happen to us. Yes, I mean, it's going to be very, very tough. I mean, when back in the day when Andrew Jackson was getting uh, pushing to get rid of the central bank, they made an attempt on his life, but, you know, it didn't work. 
I wouldn't be surprised if they try it once again. I mean, if we go back to Kennedy when he was issuing the silver certificate, um, this was going completely against the central banking system. It was the United States creating the currency, not the central bank. And the same thing is going to happen here. What his plan and how he's going to approach this, I don't know that as of yet, but I do believe that they've been working on different scenarios on how to remove the central bank, and I do believe that the only way to do it is to get countries on board with the blockchain technology. Already um, in Russia, they are they pushing the law in Parliament for the crypto ruble, and people don't understand this, but Putin. He took control of the private Western Central Bank in his country. He still has a private Western Central Bank, but he calls the shots. It's not the Rothschild. It's, it's not the, the central banking establishment. And we can see that Iran also, same thing. They, they hate every country that does not have a central bank that they can control. Well, They're yeah. demonized. They're the enemy. They're all like that. Yeah, look at the history. You have what the... Before the uh, September 11th attacks, you had the seven countries that were not tied to the central bank. Among those were, you know, countries like Libya, Syria, North Korea, Iran, Sudan, mm-hmm. and you know, there's only what in Cuba. There's only a few of those left. Iran being one of them, and North Korea being one of them. And those are the two most demonized nations over the last 10 years in our media. And it's mm-hmm. uh, they're close. The, I mean, these people are close. So something has to give because I believe if they do get control. Uh, the central banks control them in each one of these countries. That's when they move on to implement their next step. And how did the, how does all this play into? Uh, and we only, we don't even have that much time left uh, to get into to prophecy and whatnot. Where you know the mark of the beast system, the end times, uh, and is, it does this tie in at all? But we don't have to go there tonight, Dave. We can we can have you come back on because I know a large segment of our audience. Uh, we've talked about the blockchain technology. Uh, and and whatnot, and many people have um, legitimate fears or concerns about what other controls can be implemented once those uh, once that is you know our main way of of uh, commerce. So there's a, a lot of conversation we can have on the cryptocurrencies. It's definitely been uh, very interesting to watch. What over the last two three months we've seen ten thousand plus dollars in fluctuation, uh, you know, up and back down. And now it's starting to go up a little yeah. bit again on, on uh, the one main cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. And then you see the volatility in the stock market also. So it seems like something's going on, and, and people are, I believe this. we're going to see another wave. The stock market, I believe, will go up to about 30,000. I believe Bitcoin is going to go back up slowly. But uh, what were the reasons for the volatility in the cryptocurrencies? Was that a coordinated attack, or is that a correction? What was going on there? Um, I This is my theory on this. Um, it's... You can manipulate any type of currency very easily. Remember, the central banks, they have the ability to create currency out of thin air. All you need to do to bring Bitcoin or anything up or down, just like gold, you know, all you need to do is you need paper contracts. You can throw paper contracts at gold and you can bring it right down. Same thing with the cryptocurrency market. All you have to do is go in, buy as much as you can with money that's created out of thin air and make Bitcoin go up. You can make them go up 15,000, 20,000, 30,000. 
How do you bring it back down? All you have to do is sell it. Sell a lot of it. You can bring it right back down. And I believe the central banks did this on purpose. They did it. It had nothing to do with news or things that were going on um, out in South Korea and things like that. What they did was is they brought it up. They kept buying it, buying it, buying it. And remember, their whole entire push is to demonize and get people away f- from it, just like gold. So what they did was they purchased it, then they sold it. And they said, look how volatile Bitcoin is. It's used for, you know, criminals. It's used as terrorism. Yeah. North Korea, they used it for ransoms. And look, it's very volatile. You don't want something like this. This is, it can't be <laughs> controlled. And this, it's very easy to do. It's so I mean, funny it's though. Really, that argument, what? because it's so funny to, to hear that argument when you think, what has the U.S. dollar been used to find? I mean, the same things that they're arguing against yes. as reasons for not using Bitcoin are the same things that happen with our currency more so than any other currency in the world. So how can that it's, even be I, a fair argument? It, it's absolutely right. And and I believe when whenever these people talk, <laughs> central bankers, deep state, whenever they're talking, it's really about them, about what they've been doing. And I'll give you an example, like Russian collusion. When they kept saying Trump's doing, you know, he's colluding with Russia. Who really colluded with Russia? Obama? Clinton? It always goes back to them. Central bankers talking about, oh, you know, you don't want to use cryptocurrency because it's used for terrorism. It's created out of thin air. Um, there's nothing backing it. Well, the dollar created out of thin air. You can use it for drug trade. You can use it for money laundering. You can use it to prop up the stock market. You can create it out of thin air and send it overseas to some other country. You can use it for covert operations by using the cash portion of it. I mean, everything they say is exactly what they're doing. So whenever they tell you something on the corporate media or about racists or, you know, it's always about them. It really has nothing to do with what they're really saying about that person or the group or the currency. It's really about what they're doing. And if you really listen to them in that fashion, you can understand what they're doing. It's it's really not like North Korea. North Korea was never going to attack the United States. That'd be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, really fire their missile that really can't fly in the air, that breaks apart before it reaches its target. What do you think would happen to North Korea? Why in the world... Would they ever fire a missile and hit the, which they can't do it anyhow, hit the United States? Because they would be obliterated in what, two seconds? I mean, yeah. the country's tiny. I mean, it would, it makes no sense. It's, it's what they wanted to happen. It's really about them and their goals and what they wanted. That's, is, that's how I. Yeah, yeah. that's very in, in, insightful. And, uh, you know, we, we see that as you said, uh, did the the way Trump and and company were handling the diplomatic relations with North Korea did that work to the point where Kim Jong Un has kind of uh, brought it down a few notches and tensions between North and South Korea as these Winter Olympic Games are ongoing have reached a, a new low at least in in recent memory and then you have uh, you know the attempted uh, to talk to North Korea. I just want to say uh, this is fascinating discussion. I'm I'm quiet because I'm listening. So. Continue. Okay. <laughs> well, we only have two minutes left, Dave. Uh, this time went by so fast. And I gotta apologize. Yeah. There were some connection issues, uh, bringing you on. 
but we're going to have to we, – we can't wait so long to bring you back on. I'll talk to John. And if you can uh, come back, we'll reschedule in about six weeks or so to continue this yeah. discussion because there is so much going on here. What do you think – in the last minute, if you can, what what's going on in Syria? We have uh, – ISIS is not a factor anymore, according to – uh, many sources, yet we still see Islamic extremist fighters there, but it seems to be, be more foreign armies engaging each other in Syria. Yeah, to, to recap I, that. I, Go ahead. I, I, no, I think what's happening in Syria is that the Islamic State, they're pretty much done. You know that's a paid mercenary uh, paid mercenary army. That's actually the army of the intelligence agencies and the, the coalition forces, Israel. The, it's all part of it. They're paid. They use them. That's their army. They use it for a regime change. They use al-Qaeda. They use al-Nusra. And Russia has done a fantastic job with Syria destroying these paid mercenary groups. They pretty much have the country under control. And the problem is, is and this is where everyone is getting a little mixed up and confused, the Kurdish region, um, this is where the deep state is in. They're in this region. Now, Trump he did a lot of different things which people don't realize. He stopped all the funding to the moderate rebels. He stopped paying all the Kurdish uh, forces in the Kurd region. They are not going to be supplying weapons to this area. He's already said that Assad is the elected president. Syria is a sovereign country. And he continually says these things. And I think what is happening here, and I think Trump um, his administration with Putin, with Turkey. What happened is they needed to get rid of the deep state. They're they're hunkered down in this region. They don't want to leave because their goal is to split Syria. I mean, they're still on this. Yeah. They still want this to happen. And Dave, you I said, think, hmm? and you said earlier that you think that all these events are happening to create some momentum for to to further the conflict. And I guess the last question I asked you, I didn't phrase it properly. Uh, okay. We don't have time to get into it as the outro music's playing. But X22 report on YouTube, over 150,000 subscribers. Great Definitely channel. go there, subscribe, and uh, you know, obviously check for the updates on on the uh, YouTube video. Great information, Smart Dave. Guy. Thank you so much. Uh, definitely some yeah. very uh, great insight and, and interesting insight tonight. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I Absolutely. appreciate it. And we look forward to having you back. X22 Thank you, report my on YouTube as well as x22report.com. When we come back, Stan Dale will be our guest as he is each Tuesday in Hour 3. Don't go anywhere. edition of the Hagman Report. We got Stan Dale coming on with us in a few minutes as he does each Tuesday in the third hour. Go to standeo.com. On the right hand side of the website there's a button, the show images page. There he puts together stories and research that he wants to talk about when coming on the show. And he's been a, a fan favorite for a number of years now here on the Hagman Report. Absolutely. And and don't forget, we have a conference coming up this April. April, tw- uh, what is it, uh, uh, 20th, 21, and 22, I believe it is. April 20th, 21st, and 22nd. 
just go to HagmanReport.com and click on Occupy 2018. Russ Dizdar is going to be there. L.A. Marzulli is going to be there. Coach Dave. I mean, it's going to be incredible. So uh, just go to HagmanReport.com, click on Occupy 2018. It's going to be in the Dayton, Ohio area. There it is right there. If you're watching this via Global Star Radio Network, Satellite uh, Network, of course, you, you'll see it right there on your screen. Occupy 2018 Conference in Canton. I'm sorry, I said Dayton, Canton, Ohio, April 20th through the 22nd, 2018. Speakers, speakers, Bill Federer, oh, my goodness, uh, uh, L.A. Marzulli, Russ Dizdar, of course, John Robertson, uh, Paul Begley is going to be there. Coach Dave Dobmeyer, you're not going to want to miss this. Let's pack the walls. Look, it's filling up quickly, so register now. That's uh, the conference in Canton, Ohio, right, right where the Football Hall of Fame is. So it's going to be great. It's it, love to meet everyone uh, there. Of course, it'll be a great setting for the conference. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I want to welcome our sponsor, eHarmony, eHarmony.com. Enter our code Hagman at checkout for a first month of three months free. You know what? Make this, if you are alone right now, for Valentine's Day tomorrow, make this the last Valentine's Day that you're alone. And if you're you're trying online dating, chances are you've run into a lot of things like lazy text messages, dead-end conversations, random matches that don't turn into dates. Look, you you cannot, you cannot get to know someone by just looking at their picture. And I spoke with a, uh, a representative from eHarmony, and I'm going to tell you, I got to look at the kind of the the back door and the history and, and the workings of this. This is really a great scientific uh, match. I mean, it, they know what they're doing. That's all I got to say. They know what they're doing. You know, a lot of times. Uh, online dating is, it gets a bad rap. Not eHarmony. They're different. This is different. I got to tell you, they are unlike many other online online dating sites. Now, as I said in my uh, when I first opened the show, my neighbor's son, six months and go still going strong. Met a, met a girl, wonderful, wonderful young lady. In fact, I met her for the first time when he came back from out of town. This is oh, I don't know two or three weeks ago. Uh, very interesting story indeed. So this works. eHarmony takes steps that other dating sites don't in order to find you a more compatible match. Now, they are built to help you find lasting, meaningful relationships. This is not a shallow hookup site. They've helped over a million people find their perfect match. eHarmony uses years and years of science, data, psychological research to send you the right matches. Now, eHarmony. They bring compatible people together. That's what they do. Now, right now, our listeners can get a free month with eHarmony when you sign up for a three-month subscription. Did you hear that? You get a free month. You sign up for a three-month subscription, get a free month by using our code HAGMAN at checkout. So stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone, and have a meaningful relationship. There's one app that's built to bring you real love, and that's eHarmony.com. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started. Enter our code Hagman at checkout. All right. Yeah, all right. There's a, we're going to bring Stan Day on in just a second. How about this? Court orders full restoration of DACA program. A federal judge in New York Tuesday ruled that the government must fully restart the Obama-era Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, Deportation Amnesty, and accept brand-new applications as well as renewals 
throwing a potential oh, man, wrench really? in the ongoing debate over the fate of the Dreamers, but it's not as bad as it sounds. Uh, that sounds bad. And Judge on, Nicholas Grafis said the administration does have the power to revoke DACA, but it must give a sound reason for okay, doing so. But, but how, okay, how is this possible? Because, oh, help me. This, know, this was signed in via executive order, right? Uh, yes. In the Rose Garden, it was June 12th, I think it was. Well, this judge is a Clinton appointee. He's a second federal judge to rule against Trump and uh, over this decision. Now, what he says is that uh, not only did the government have to allow those already in the program to renew their applications, but also ordering the government to accept new applications. Yet, at the same time, he also said that the government does not have to accept those applications and Trump can rescind the program in the future if he does it the right way. And, and you know, if you haven't listened to it already, in fact, the the segment with Jack Posobiec uh, is going to go up. Uh, Jack talks about this as well. Um, in, in the uh, uh, the other segment that's going up, Stealth Invasion. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Leo Homan. Yeah. Uh, From yesterday. That's going to be going up as well. I and he talks about that. that. Okay. Uh, from, from Wednesday today. All right. Uh, time disposal. It was a good message. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that, that was a fantastic one. Thanks for doing that. So um, uh, definitely go to Hagman Report on YouTube, and you will have those segments already there, uh, or they will be up tonight, uh, both Jack Posobiec as well as uh, uh, Leo Homan, which fantastic information about stealth jihad and how DACA and how this all kind of fits together. Great book, by the way. So, all right. Let's we have on. with us our guest, Stan Dale. Stan, welcome back to the show. Good to be here. Can you hear me? Yeah, we we, we can. I, I I love this because isn't isn't live radio great and live video great? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I'm trying to get my thing working for you here and get uh, there. Is that better? You look fantastic, and yeah, that's great. <sighs> Okay. Centered and everything. Look at you. Look at you. That's great. I tried. I tried. I measured this way, that way, and this yeah, way. That's fantastic. It, it, it's the monkish in me, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> did, did did you say monkish? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Adrian Monk. Oh, you know what? Everything. We love that. Show, yeah, we are. Uh, we we watch. Uh, that's one of my favorite shows. I yep. still record the reruns on my yep. DVR. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Me too. A little OCD stuff going on there. We we get it. And they also yeah. just put that show on uh, Amazon Prime. So if okay. you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it. I, I th- oh, you, you know what? I think we we are on one of those. No, this Roku? Is a Roku. Yeah, that's a Roku. Uh, Roku, whatever. We are on that. So anyway, all right. All right. So what's up? All right. Well, lots of things uh, on the show images page. I guess you've got a link to that, or you can zoom into it. Um, I wanted to look at a couple of things uh, with water on the planet. It's kind of critical all over the planet. If you look at our image 59, it, it, the, the text underneath links to an article about this, but this this uh, graphic shows the water in the Sea of Galilee, and just to the kind of upper left of it, well, upper going left, is I think it's this Upper Jordan River freshwater, and then the um, uh, Glen Heights itself, the rain up there falls down into the Sea of Galilee, and they want to convert all that into well they do convert it in Israel into drinkable water. It's fairly clean as it comes down, it's fresh water. Now the the situation is that uh, Israel gets one third of its fresh water from this Golan Heights fresh water source. 
So that's part of Syria, but yet it's occupied territory that Israel took when they had a skirmish with uh, Syria some time back. Now, Syria wants to take over that, and of course on the Golan Heights we have the AFEC uh, oil uh, uh, drill that went, well, it went down, oh, I don't know how many thousand feet, but they've got oil coming up there, and they've got water wells and water sources that Israel needs. And the whole Middle East, one of the most important or valuable assets is water. In fact, it's almost more important than oil. The other day um, in Israel, there was a Palestinian farmer thing. His property was taken back over uh, into Israel. Uh, he lost the rights to about 80 acres of water thing or whatever. And so um, it's a water, uh, water rights he lost to Israel because he wanted to take that property for himself and make it the Palestinian property. So they said, okay, here, but you can't have our water. So they cut the, the water supply pipes to his property. And that shows you, I mean, it's like dire situation. He can't grow watermelons. He can have his land, but he's got to figure out how to get his own water. This is how critical water is in the Middle East. And so when they speak of water wars in the Middle East, they mean like shooting wars, not just uh, legal battles <laughs> like they have down in Florida at the moment. That's pretty uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've been watching the news over the last uh, few oh, weeks yeah. here about the, the uh, cities running out of water uh, in the world. Um, right now, then, Cape Town is about to run out of water next month. The whole city is about to run dry, and it's not a small city. So <clears throat> what do you think? Um, what are they going to do about it? Uh, they're just one of 12 cities in the planet at the moment that are you know, in the civilized world. Uh, where you have major concentrations of people where they're going to run out of water. We saw it happen here in 2002, I think it was, here in Colorado. When we first got here, we went up to a little town we were going to move to uh, called Beulah up in the, the valley here. And um, they had uh, you know, a 7,000-gallon water tank, or maybe 700, I think. It was a ridiculous little t- tank to feed the 1,200 people there in the valley. And uh, we mentioned to the water board there that, look, you guys ought to put in a bigger water storage because we're going to see massive drought this year next year. Well, that was 2001. We told them 2002, they turned on the taps and they were they were dry. There was no water. And all of a sudden there was a, an industry formed of water tanks with fresh water, you know, tankers, driving up into the hills to fill people's local, um, you know, tanks and, and things they got to store water in. And suddenly there was this whole new business of just putting in water tanks and filling them uh, with fresh water. And it went on until the next season when they got some rain and things started to come back. But at the same time, in their infinite uh, you know, wisdom, their back uh, or rear view uh, vision, they put in like, um, I don't know, 750,000 gallon water tanks, some, some huge water tank up there on the hill, uh, because they realized, well, gee, you know, we might have a drought every now and then things aren't going to go steady as they have been. And, and this is a problem all over the world. You look at Florida there. <clears throat> now, Miami sits there and you think, oh, well, they must have plenty of water around, but it's salt water. And uh, there are already uh, people, you know, little suburbs and, and counties that are suing each other for water rights to various things there and all over the United States. Um, it's going to intensify, and we're going to see that people are going to go on to water rationing, take uh, shorter showers, showers every other day, you're going to see water pressure in cities reduced, maybe by 30%, to reduce the amount of water that people get through the tap when they leave it on or taking a shower or whatever. Um, there are just going to be a number of, of uh, actions taken to um, 
preserve water because now all of a sudden we realize we don't have enough. So this makes it very important to to uh, preserve the water we've got, to reuse a lot of the water. There are people that are uh, developing systems in their homes at the moment to take uh, dishwasher water, you know, wash it in the sink instead of the dishwasher and use that to flush the toilets with and all that kind of stuff to try to conserve water. And this is going to be an American problem as well as it is for the rest of the world. We're, we're not immune to that. Um, of course, Moscow is going to be hit. Mexico City, these are big cities. Um, Beijing, China, uh, all these uh, places are having water threats and, and they're not going to go away. So I looked at <clears throat> various methods of, you know, uh, making purified or like drinkable water. And if you look at image 56, and you can click on the article and read about it. There's a crowd that have been doing research into uh, making graphene, carbon molecules hooked together into a lattice, and uh, they use this carbon graphene and hook it up with uh, uh, hydrogen and oxygen to make what's called graphene oxide. And in, in the picture you see there, it's a, um, yeah, that's it. Uh, the lattice you see there, that those hexagonal-looking things, are the graphene oxide in a thin layer and the green things are like seawater and various salts that are in there that can't pass through the graphene sieve so that only freshwater molecules, you have hydrogen oxygen uh, combined, can get through the graphene. Now they've been trying to, they, they've been able to do this in the lab uh, over in the United Kingdom, but they haven't been able to make it on a commercial uh, basis, you know, where they can roll out, you know, yards and yards of this stuff to do it. But it, it is one of several, um, Initiatives to get fresh water from seawater and from brack water too, for that matter. But um, the uh, they're having troubles with this because it's such a thin layer that um, when they put it into water by itself, it swells and doesn't work anymore. You know, it doesn't let enough water through, and so they've been putting epoxy uh, layers on either side to let the water uh, not cause the the, the uh, uh, carbon matrix to expand so that it performs its duty. Anyway, that's that one. <clears throat> in Israel, they've been um, experimenting for some time with making fresh water by uh, distillation. On the, the seacoast here, they're taking energy and, of course, uh, making flash evaporation of seawater to get fresh water out when it condenses. Um, the uh, an Aboriginal process years ago that I was uh, taught about down in uh, Perth, it was to take uh, bushes in, in the desert there and just, you know, green alive bushes and to put a tarp over it and tie it in at the bottom of it. Holly even writes about this in the Dare to Prepare book. And to tie uh, the bottom of that tarp so that the water that comes off of the leaves as they aspire uh, it comes down the side of the tarp and drips into a little bucket, and that's how the abos get fresh water. Well, there was a, an engineer at the University of West Australia that uh, uh, showed me that he had a, a method of making like a, a, a slide, like a kid's slide, and he put on the bottom of it, uh, or you know where the kid's butt would sit sliding down, he put artificial grass, and it had to be artificial grass that had a 19-millimeter uh, leaf length and stuff like that, Put that down there, and then he put a little canopy over the top of it, so of, of clear plastic, so that he could run salt water, just drip it in with a little aquarium pump at the top of the slide, and it'd run down through all that grass like that, and he would 
been sucked up by capillary action to coat the leaves. And in the sunlight, what would happen is that the leaves would evaporate. You know, the fresh water would go up, hit the clear plastic uh, tent, fall down the side of two tubes he had running down, and he was having fresh water just run off the bottom of it into gallon jugs. The, in fact, he was going to supply to a community called Shark Bay on the northwest coast of Australia all their drinking water by doing this with uh, coating, you know, several acres with these kind of slides and converters. And the problem is that does work quite happily, but then you have to take the grass mats out periodically, which are caked in salt, and throw them away or figure out a way to wash them clean so that they'll work again because they get salt crystals in it and it blocks it. So there are a number of different methods, but all of them have side effects that you've got to deal with. In Israel, when they get the the, um, the salt, you know, by evaporation, they get the salt out of the fresh water, they have to put the salt somewhere back into the seawater or you know, into the ground, whatever, uh, or maybe sell it as fresh salt, I don't know. But these are all issues surrounding water, and it is a very, very important global issue. Now, <clears throat> Yeah, and Stan, if, uh, from what I can tell, what you're talking about here, if we could... If we could efficiently change salt water into drinking water, would that solve all the problems, at least as far as the availability of fresh water? If we could find a way to filter out the salt? Yeah, a cheap way. I mean, solar energy costs so much per square foot to to catch and convert to electricity. Um, if we had, like... Uh, the electrostatic converters we're talking about that we're trying to, to finish here at my place where we convert electrostatic waves in the atmosphere or in the, the ground itself which one patent already uh, is addressing if we had that kind of energy in the form of electricity we could then afford to electrically um, you know evaporate or distill the water you don't want to drink distilled water without minerals in it though so there would have to be a, a downstream effort to uh, put that through you know, various types of rock filters that would give you uh, mineral content that you need for your body. Otherwise, it, it leaches minerals out of your body if you just drink pure uh, distilled water. Uh, all these things can be addressable with enough energy at the low cost. That's the, the deal. <clears throat> and if we were to recycle, you know, gray water and stuff like that uh, on a large scale in these various cities, then yes, that would, uh, that would mitigate the problem of drinking water. We're just, we're just now in, you know, this, the wasteful developed our civilized world, civilized in quotes. We're just now catching up with the, the uh, third world countries and their problem with water they've had for a long time. Um, and we're going to have to start turning off taps, not leaving them running and, uh, being very frugal with our water. Uh, if we don't do it by policing ourselves, which probably most people won't, then the water supply companies are going to have to, uh, either raise prices and or reduce the pressure and uh, you know limit you to how much you can have per week to try to keep us from going into you know to a crisis situation we're seeing a drought here in the United States uh, Holly what is it like this is worse one in four years or something like that I think so yeah um, and so we're facing drought conditions here and if you see slide 57 and uh just not not to make light of that, but what what is that old saying? Do you remember when pornography was, or water was free and you paid for pornography? I don't know. It it just made me think of that. 
I don't know why, but okay. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I know. fellow. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it, it goes back to, uh, I remember my mom saying that, you know, uh, and she was ahead of her time. She, I remember my mom, my mother saying that, watch, you know, you're going to be buying water. Uh, this is back, of course, before meters and stuff. And, um, you're going to, the plant's going to run out of fresh water. And, and, you know, we're seeing it happen right now. So anyway, I didn't mean to knock you off your stride there. I didn't. I'll show, uh, I'll Jakarta, show it now. That's, that's all right. You know, in Jakarta, uh, I was reading here in the news feed today. Jakarta, the the people there, because there's water rationing, have been drilling illegal water wells on their property in Jakarta. Of course, that's a coastal town. Well, Jakarta, because of all the training of the water aquifers, especially by these illegal wells that are drilled, <coughs> excuse me, Jakarta, is now 40% of it under sea level. It's not under sea, but it's under sea level. So if the dikes or the method they have to hold the sea back are breached, 40% of Jakarta will flood and, and drown, disappear, simply because the aquifer they've been pulling water out is submerging like that. Now you see that, and then you go over to California. How far has the land sunk down? I mean, Holly showed that in, in the Dare to Prepare, you know, probably from the first edition right on through to, to the current edition here this year. And, you know, California has sunk in areas by like orders of 10 or 12 feet or more from the aquifers being drained. Um, and, you know, it's not the only place. Jakarta has uh, just mentioned that other places where they're drilling uh, into the aquifers in um, Arizona and Phoenix and stuff. You know, the aquifer underneath that, when that's uh, dry, it's probably going to sink Phoenix. If it, if you get a good shake, it'll probably cause suburbs to fracture and, and fall into the the empty reservoirs. Anyway, we're going to see a lot of this. Um, sinkholes are going to be sinkholes over reservoirs. Look at um, Las Vegas. I mean, they sit on a big uh, kind of draining aquifer as it is. They're going to run out of water too. So well, this I, is uh, to, to salvage what I said or to salvage myself. I do remember being in Las Vegas back in the early two thousands, and. Um, or maybe it was the late nineties. They would not serve water at the table. You had to ask for it, and very, very uh, water conscious uh, about conserving water. You know, so and all and these cities on this list, Dan. Uh, many say twenty twenty five is the if they're not already at the critical stages that they will reach the critical stages by twenty twenty five, which is just around the corner. I know. I know you you think uh, 2025 well that's got a two in front of it it's decade away or whatever but it's not it's like less than seven years so mm-hmm. some of them are saying 2020 and then you have you know uh, problems with sea level rising salt water sea level rising um, it may this advance may stop soon because of things with the sun which we can talk about in a minute but um, you know uh, with all the stuff we're wasting, all the water, fresh water, throwing out into the seas in, and uh, into airing uh, ponds that turn to salt, uh, we're going to be sorry for that. Uh, with the, the sea level rise, all of our fresh water losses from glaciers melting and things like that, um, you can you can see that in that article there. There you go. Uh, you, you know, all that water is lost that we should have, uh, we need. That's what's happening here. I can't get my mouse to work now. Isn't that incredible? Okay. Mm-hmm. Computers. Yeah, yeah, I'm on the same side as you are. I guess a lot of people are hitting that and we're having trouble moving it. <clears throat> anyway, 
let's let's just uh, say in summary that in addition to energy wars, we are having water wars. And uh, let me adjust that for you guys. Is that no going? Which way do I go? There you go. Up like, right there. Up, up there a little bit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Motion right. sickness. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, and while we're on the, the uh, resources and stuff that are dwindling, uh, have you been watching Zion Oil gas uh, stock and what they've been doing? No, but I, I do see the story that you have up on um, the show images page, number 52. Yep. Zion okay. Oil and Gas encounters oil at 16,500 feet and drilling another 230. Now, that's very important to, obviously, to Israel, but we don't know whether they're going to get the oil down there, but certainly it's a good sign to have oil and traces of gas at the bottom of where they thought from their uh, geological analysis, you know, their, their um, uh, earth-penetrating radar, where the oil would be, most likely. But that's at the southeast end of the Megiddo Plain, where the Battle of Armageddon is going to take place. And I think, as a lot of other people do, that the Battle of Armageddon is really going to be over oil uh, resources there. Uh, I still think, uh, from what I've said before, that there is oil... Um, further up the Megiddo Valley, a lot of it that is in a, a crevasse that formed underneath the the the, uh, the earth there, coming from the Golan Heights. In fact, let me just see here. I think I've still got that up here on on the show images page. Go to uh, slide four. Click on the picture, and then get down to uh, underneath the. Uh, where, how do I tell you, those aren't numbered. The fault path from Golan Heights to the toe of Asher. It's about row three in the middle. Yep, I see that here. Okay. Okay, okay. Zoom that up. Now, I, uh, you know, a lot of people that analyze that stuff about, um, uh, Asher's toe being dipped, uh, dipped in oil was just a metaphor and it didn't really mean literally there would be oil in Asher's toe. But if you see that yellow outline there, that's the toe of Asher down there where those little three, uh, pins are. Um, and it also said that it would, uh, that the rocks would, um, you know, um, I forget what they call them in the Bible, but, uh, the, there's a certain type of rock, flint, that would, flint rock, that would have the oil in it, and it would ooze oil out of it. Well, I looked all over Israel in the geological studies, uh, probably two or three years ago, and found that there's only one place in all of Israel where basinite, or flint rock, is located. And you can see it there uh, on this map. Um, I've got basinite locations there, all in the toe of uh, Asher, uh, only there. So as a result, I think that what we're going to see is that as we move up into, you know, from the lower middle of this picture up uh, kind of to the mm, northwest, toward the yellow toe from down in the green area, as we move up that area, we're going to see more and more oil wells uh, dug and be, you know, prolific. But the first one uh, is this one that uh, that uh, Zion is doing, which is further down. If you look at the first picture on oil, on, 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 um, oh, oh, is that going to show us? Yeah. First picture on row three, you'll see the uh, Sea of Galilee, uh, that dark kind of green thing in the middle. And if you go straight down from that and left, You'll just be right above, a few miles above where uh, Zion Oil have their oil lease for, you know, 99,000 acres or whatever uh, down south. That's where they've already think they've found gold or, or oil, uh, black gold. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, 
And I'm just trying to see here on this. It's been a while since I've been on this page. Let me just see if I have an image that I like for that. Uh, no, that's the wrong direction. Uh, is this the, I, I see, uh, one I opened up, um, what is the name of it here? Area or overview of the area with names. And then you have it, uh, the flint yep. stone. Yep, yep. The, well, okay. you can see, uh, yeah. I've put red, red markers around where, you know, uh, it's exposed and, uh, you, you it's so close to these blue lines that I've got coming down in the image and that thing you're looking at. These blue lines are underground fault lines that could have conveyed the oil from the Glen Heights where Affleck Oil have already found oil and are pumping it. And if it ran downhill, it would have run into these crevasses, either the light blue and crossing over at um, uh, above uh, Basmat Taboon or the, the darker blue one, which goes down to where the Flinty Stone is. And you have this whole area that's you know, farming and stuff in that area, kibbutz, and they're growing food and things. It's a very fertile thing there, and you got to wonder if that's, you know, because they're built on top of, um, you know, uh, oil fields. It's, uh, huh. you can see where the. Yeah. Do, do oil fields and, and, uh, is, is there a correlation there with fertile grounds? Yeah. Yeah, because, like, you know, it depends on whether it's been covered in sand, but if you've got soil on it penetrating down to the formation, You'll see that oil is formed by chromatin and hematin. Chromatin being, um, uh, you know, from um, oh, uh, decaying vegetable matter, and the the hematin from blood matter. You know, the iron in the blood, and these two together, when they're compressed at even shallow depths of 30 feet, uh, over not a long period of time, can form oil. So, it, the things that are biological entities decaying in this area would, uh, you know, make oil and, of course, sitting on top of it uh, may be the reason that they've got all this fertile ground. I don't know. Just a just a wild hunch, but uh, definitely I think it's important to watch Cyan Oil. And uh, Israel, you know, I've already notified the university that's doing the, the uh, sounding or, you know, the exploration over there and another government department uh, three years ago about the potential for fulfilling biblical prophecy and where the Flinty Stone would be and where they should in Israel they should look for oil there. Uh, to, to get it in huge quantities because look offshore. I mean, we know that in the Mediterranean there, just, you know, to the, that's the sea to the left of the images you're looking at. Uh, in, in the Mediterranean, we've got huge gas deposits, but the gas is probably coming up from deeper oil fields on land. And that's what we're talking about right there on land to where the gas fields are offshore of Israel and Lebanon, right there in the, in that area. If you drill down, Maybe as far as 25,000 feet, uh, which was one estimate, uh, you're going to hit these tremendous oil pools. Um, if they are deep, they're under pressure, and the gas wells over here are part of that pressure in the, in the Mediterranean. So uh, you can see where the long argument between the Arab nations, which are on higher ground across the Jordan, you know, like uh, Saudi Arabia and um, Oman, all those, they're at a relatively higher altitude than this. Uh, the, the deep oil field under here five miles down. So the pressure on that has been shooting oil up through fissures and, and forming reservoirs that the Arabs have been draining for years. But those are only from the oil that's been pushed up from the deep uh, Israeli oil fields underneath the Megiddo Plain. I'm I'm just positive of that. And In fact, I've talked to a number of uh, people in Israel that are in uh, interesting positions there that uh, have told about the arguments between the Arabs and Israelis about drilling for oil in there and, and 
taking oil from their own oil field from Israel would be a declaration of war, you know, by the Arab nation. Now that was going back as long as 25, 30 years ago. Now then, the Arab nations are starting to shift their economies into shareholdings and companies and things like that. They've taken their oil riches and divested themselves of the dependence on that to a great deal. Even Saudi Arabia is turning to entertainment and, uh, you know, um, tourism and things like that and gold and other minerals and uh, getting into Bitcoin as well to to remove their dependence on oil. So they're already cushioning the effect of what's going to happen when their oil dries up, but Israel is suddenly, you know, oil rich. And so keep an eye on Zion Oil and these areas. I leave these areas up on the website here under slide four because I think it's an ongoing thing to watch. Very important in that area. As important as the as the water wars. And again, as I say, uh, although the Megiddo Plain was an ancient uh, like pathway for caravans and uh, trade between Europe and uh, the Middle East, uh, it was certainly a, a good place to travel on flat ground and get through the mountain pass there, kind of northeast of Haifa. But um, in this case, I think the concentration of war there will be the kings of the east that come together, the 200-million-man army moving down there to gain control of the oil-rich energy fields in Israel and Lebanon. I think Lebanon will have part of this, but the majority of it will be in Israel. Anyway, that's just my long-winded way to address that issue. So, Well, Stan, you're but, one of the only people I know really uh, anywhere that I've seen that focuses on on issues like this and this issue specifically so much and especially uh, everything associated with with the bible and israel and it is uh really insightful even this stuff about uh, what happened in saudi arabia uh, was a, a big focus years and then that all came out to the forefront um as muhammad bin solomon took over and started doing the uh, the corruption roundups and i have no doubt that this will probably play out right along the lines of of what you're saying and it sets up the end times uh, and, and scripture-based arguments of of these, and it and it really validates them on on top of uh, everything else that we've seen go on here. Uh, this is just like the next piece of the puzzle of Israel and uh, and the future over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me see if I've still got this thing on. I do. Yeah, down at slide thirty-four. It's a little little short movie. Click on that. It's a movie I made to show that the surface of the Earth, the thin mantle, we were hit by an asteroid, and it moved the surface of the Earth upside down while the core of the Earth kept going the same way. And just look at that little video. It's only about five, ten seconds long. All right. Uh, 26 seconds, sorry. And there to visualize it. Okay. And now you see, see the, the asteroid is hit, and now then the thin skin of the earth where the continents are it's moved around while the core of the earth keeps going the same direction mm-hmm. now you know I use this argument to show the physicists and the geologists they say oh the earth couldn't be turned upside down by an asteroid impact there's not enough energy in an asteroid you know to do that and uh, you know without uh, totally destroying the planet but they're wrong in that they didn't know that the skin of the earth is so thin that you know, we could uh, we could hit it with something like an asteroid. Uh, this one was only 15 miles in diameter, but it was it made a crater 250 miles across on the east coast of India. But it was enough to turn the world upside down, and we have uh, historical uh, support for that from the 
uh, Egyptian and Chinese uh, astronomers' records, which showed that the sun has risen in the west, has come up in the west twice in their recorded history, which means that twice the earth has been upside down from where we are now, and that we're now in this current position, but still very vulnerable. The reason I bring this up is because of slide 51. Um, it says, scientists solve mystery of Earth's tectonic plates. And the, the major part of this article that I find fascinating is it, it says, their study suggests that the plates glide about on a, uh, glide, uh, the plates glide about on a six mile thick hidden channel of soft rock located between the base of the plates and the upper portion of the Earth's mantle the layer of molten rock above the planet's core. Now, this is in live science. Uh, click on the text beneath that, uh, or, you know, if you want to. Uh, yeah, that's just showing you the close-up of the tectonic plates, but if you click on the text underneath that um, okay. slide uh, 51. Okay, slide, yeah, okay, on the text, all right. <clears throat> now, you'll see about the third paragraph thing down. It says about this soft rock layer. Now, uh, soft rock. What is that? Well, it's certainly not basinite or the the um, uh, hard diamond hard uh, foot of the the continents. You know that we sit on. You know the pillars that the Bible speaks of. But um, the the soft rock layer is what would allow us to to be moved, like on ball bearings. When that uh, asteroid or asteroids hit us, uh, it moved the surface of the earth on this soft rock zone it shifted us around just like I showed you in that video um, but they're just now starting to catch up with what I was trying to tell them three or four years ago when I was giving the lectures on how to locate the Garden of Eden how to locate Atlantis because people were looking in the wrong place the absolute wrong direction because the planet is now upside down from where it was and uh, bit by bit they're going to you know believe what I've written and understand it and prove it uh, to themselves, uh, I already understand it, believe it. But um, anyway, yeah, I, I, be, I know. And then you're, Stan. I don't know how you do it. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'd like to to see a visual uh, step by step process of your mental process on some of these issues. Because sometimes it, it, I'm not doubting you're right or not. I just I can't. Even though you explain some of these things, I can't get there with my mind. So it's well, fun to watch. Well, yeah. Um, I guess if I had you here in a room with a blackboard and I could wave my hands a lot where you could see what I was meaning, um, I could show you uh, the process. Um, but it involved studies I've done over the years in um, the expanding Earth uh, hypothesis, which I think is now a theory, and the cause of the Great Flood by that impact of a meteor that uh, fractured the, the, the fountains of the deep, you know, and split continents apart, split Pangaea apart. Um, and the age of the universe, uh, all these things, when I take these factors, and I have this ability to be able to pull all these in at once uh, into my mind and look at them and see how they relate and which ones have to be tweaked to, to make the other two work properly to locate things. And believe me, once I, I uh, removed this, you know, 5 to 15 billion year time tag to the universe and to you know the age of the earth and all that kind of stuff. When you get it down to like thousands of years because of the the, uh, the change in the speed of light, which is how we measure age of, of rocks and planets and star systems, when you compress that down to what the biblical timeline is, it starts to work. And it, it, to me, it's proving 
the accuracy of the Bible. And so going on that uh, that premise, I say, okay, the Bible is correct. We just haven't figured out how to interpret it properly. And uh, so if you were in the room with me, then I would have a blackboard, and I'd say, okay, look, the earth used to be down this big, okay? Uh, 75% of what it is now, it was it's a quarter smaller then. And when you do that, and in my mind, I would take you on that trip, I would say, let's go down to the surface of the earth then where the dinosaurs were there, and humans were too. Let's see. The oxygen is more uh, dense because we have a smaller atmosphere. The gravitational forces at the surface of the are greater because we're closer to the core of the planet. There was a void, obviously, formed when it expanded to where we are now, but this is all condensed now into that smaller diameter Earth. And, okay, in that smaller Earth, all the land masses, the continents, are together in Pangaea, however you want to shape it. There's different arguments about how you look at it. And that was before the land split up in the time of Peleg after the flood. So then, you know, on that day with you, I might say, well, look, while we're here, what caused Pangaea to split apart and to migrate to where the continents are now? Was it a gradual process, like they say, inches per year? Or was it a catastrophic thing which split the surface of the Earth, Pangaea, uh, apart at, at that time, at that instant? What could have caused it? Well, when I found the asteroid impact on the east coast of India, India, I knew that where it hit was where Pangaea started to split apart. It's why the Atlantic has a ridge, you know, uh, of uh, upwelling like this, and, you know, the Pacific doesn't. Uh, the, these factors all figure into the mechanics of what the Earth used to look like and what caused the flood. And that huge asteroid impact on the east coast of India through two miles of of ocean mantle and, and, and ocean bed back up from India over here, back up onto Saudi Arabia, uh, the whole Arabian Peninsula, and buried the southeast end of it, Oman and all that, in two miles of seabed, which is now washed off onto the shore and, and into the uh, seabed itself. And the oil company uh, exploration cr- uh, crews over there, one of them uh, even emailed and talked to me. They found the evidence of this ophiolite deposit on Saudi Arabia from a large asteroid. They could never locate it, and I had located it for them in just following what the Bible talked about, about something that broke up the fountains of the deep. Anyway, that's that's how the mind works. And, you know, he was like, wow. You, you, could, you could actually, we could listen to this for days, I, I, just how you explain that. Um, You'd have loved my classes at university because even though it was on computer graphics and things like that, uh, the students knew, of course, I'd been over to the Middle East and played Indiana Jones and that kind of stuff. And, uh, invariably, when we got past the, the, the hard parts of the lesson of that day, they would say, okay, now what about, you know, what'd you do over in the Jordan Valley? Okay. And, you know, and we'd get off onto this and, uh, we did have fun. Uh, uh that, that'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> wow. Well, while, while we're on that, I'm, I'm revisiting something on, on the Garden of Eden. Uh, I thought I'd pretty much found all I could find about that. And uh, if you'll see slides 43 through 45, they're of an area uh, that I missed when I was looking in the actual Garden of Eden, which was the the Ngoro Crater. You can see that in that first slide. Um, and that's right. You see where it says trees? Uh, click on it and zoom it up a bit. I think you can zoom it up. by Yeah. Okay. There's a little circle down there, you see, that I had missed which was watered from water that came down from the plateaus of the, the, the Garden of Eden plateau that fed the Garden of Eden. 
And, and this water uh, came from the river rising up from Eden. You can see the top of the, if you scroll down a bit. Yeah. Okay. What that arrow is, there's a, about a 20 acre area that was a huge, uh, fountain, uh, you know, like a geyser of water coming up from the water that was underneath this whole area, which you can still see a lot of in Lake Victoria to the west of here. Anyway, it was under pressure and it, it uh, zoomed up, you know, in, in this 20 acre mouthpiece. That's a, that's a big mouthpiece. Uh, it's like, you know, nearly a million square feet and it, uh, came up and then it started to roll downhill and formed three rivers that went out and then the fourth river came back this way toward us, toward the screen here. And those are the four rivers of Eden, which, you know, water went into Eden to water Eden and then it left there and uh, split in those four rivers. Well, here, these trees, people have asked me, say, well, you know, where are the, the, the trees of, you know, uh, the tree of knowledge, the, uh, the tree of, um, of uh, knowledge of, uh, and the tree of everlasting life? And, you know, I thought, well, they're going to be gone. So why look for them? But then I got looking at this little, lump of this round formation here. I thought, well, gee, that's an interesting formation. So I went to the next slide over, and uh, okay, here we have something that's um, about seven-tenths of a mile in diameter, about 245 acres, and I thought, I can see, in, in Google Earth, I got down close, and I could see where tree one and tree two could have been. There's slight rises, and of course, to the left of that, there's a water stream that it still runs today coming out of that raised area and flowing down into the, the, the floor of the Garden of Eden. This this little rise could have been visible from most parts of the, the bottom of this crater, you know, the crater floor, if you looked over there and God said, don't go over there and, and eat of those trees, they're off limits, they would have been visible from a long distance within that 10-mile uh, diameter. So I thought, okay, let's go over to the next slide where I got serious about this and I got into Google Earth, and I traced contours of that little round area to see how much of a rise. And you can see there that it comes from 1,767 meters at floor level up to 803 meters. And tree two, you can see where it could have been located, and tree one. And then you can see by the contour lines where the stream would have come down from it. So this may well have been where God placed the, the two trees and told Adam and Eve, don't eat of them. And they got one and didn't get the other one. Anyway, it, it, you know, I could be totally uh, wrong on this. I okay. that, but you might think that this is really kind of an academic question. Or what kind of trees are we talking about? They may have been, um, well, the tree of of knowledge may have been something that um, affected our gene structure or our brains, so that we would be able to assimilate uh, knowledge. Uh, you know. Um, from some source around us, from God, I guess. I but, don't but know. Probably, probably is something totally different than what's in existence today. Then. Oh yeah, I, I don't think it was an apple tree or right, you know, okay. any of that kind of stuff. And 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 then the tree of everlasting life. Well, they said, let us, you know, uh, elsewhere in the Old Testament, uh, in in uh, the um, Torah, in the first five books, they talk about the angels or the serving God said, let us knock down the tower of Babel that that Nimrod's building lest they ascend it and become as one of us. And, of course, the, re- the reason we couldn't have the tree of life, we had to be taken out, was because we would have everlasting life without, you know, uh, well, we shouldn't. We, you know, we shouldn't have had it at that point. It wasn't time for us by God's plan. So you can see how these trees, whatever they were, uh, would have uh, would have violated the, the long-term plan that God had for mankind. Now, I don't know why this had to happen. I, you know, I... 
uh, free will, of course, is free will. And, um, uh, we all know the story and why we have to be saved, uh, you know, by, by Jesus making the sacrifice for us. Uh, and I'm sure God will explain that to us when we get there one day, but, uh, this is where it happened. And just right outside this area where you, in that first slide in 43, uh, kind of to the left and outside the rim there, about five miles, which is about half the distance of what you see in the width of that crater, is where the old Dubai Gorge is, where the oldest human fossils have been found. They put a museum there. The Leakeys found it, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Leakey. And out there, the dirt is brilliant red. Uh, one of my friends uh, at Elion Tours, Pendeli, uh, has told me he's been over there and looked at the red dirt. And it said that God made man, made Adam from the red earth. And Adam is, you know, uh, Adam, Adam is like red uh, from the red earth and like red blood. And uh, that dirt, the man from that dirt was then placed in the Garden of Eden over in that garden, which was only five miles away uh, to to live and uh, name the animals that were passed by him, you know, by God. And then eventually to be cast out over to the right side of the screen into the, um, oh, um, oh, it, it's a, let me see if I can find it here. And, uh, and while you're looking for that, if, if you don't mind, for the people listening and just joining us, uh, or joining us in the middle, what was the, um, uh, uh, events, series of events? What happened first? Like, uh, the asteroid strike and then, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, well, in, in events, um, the earth was, uh, uh, sculpted, had, uh, water and it had a landmass. And then the animals and vegetation were put on, just like it says in Genesis, the buildup of the ecostructure. And then, when it was ready, <clears throat> when the dinosaurs that, uh, I guess that man could, uh, cohabit with, you know, and get along with, uh, when they were there, and man could be, you know, put on the planet at the, the man that was made after the image of God rather than what Satan was doing. Uh, that was when the Garden of Eden was formed uh, and was uh, prepared for Adam and uh, eventually Eve to uh, to have it, inhabit. But there was land outside the garden, which uh, he would have to till the ground. He'd have to work it to get food. That was out where it wasn't all prepared for him, where he wasn't cared for and all these needs were taken care of. They had to be planted outside after the, the fall from grace. And then the the children of Adam and Eve, they migrated down the Great East African Rift, which at that time there was a, a short little land bridge over into Yemen, which is the south uh, southeast tip of the Arabian Peninsula. So they then migrated into there and started to spread out into Arabia before, you know, the, the flood and the sand and all that covered it. It was a very fertile ground. There were huge forests with large trees in that area, which is now desert in the Rub al-Khali. And the then Satan uh, brought his guys. There were at least twelve of them, maybe two hundred, depending on which biblical book you read, whether you take, take the Jubilee account or, or others. And there were at least twelve of these uh, fallen angels who settled on the earth, and one of them settled there in Saudi Arabia, uh, up closer to where Jordan is. Um, and another one, well, actually, he was over toward the, the Persian Gulf eventually. But uh, and, and then the other eleven, one might have been at the Atlantic, uh, uh, you know, over into uh, uh, probably Western Russia, I guess, in that area. There would have been one in China. There would have been one at the South Pole. There would have been one in South America, maybe two, one in America itself. So we know that there are evidence of these pyramid builders that were preceding uh, the Great Flood. 
And because of that, um, the the mixture of these uh, satanic beings, these fallen angels, and humankind in the Arabian Peninsula, there were hybrid beings formed, giants, uh, the legend of Hercules, uh, the cyclops, uh, various things that were hybrids between animal DNA and human DNA, which Satan was a man, whoever it was there, probably Satan himself on that island, uh, on the Saudi Peninsula, which is, was an island originally. And the mixture of the gene pool there was an abomination to God. That's why he sent the flood to destroy all this stuff because it was not right. It was crossbreeding between beings from his world, from, from the universe where God dwells, and our universe here on the surface of the earth. I know I'm trying to compress about three hours of lecture into ten minutes, but try to follow and think about it later. Um, anyway, that's that's what happened, and that was the progress. And when the flood came, is when the earth expanded. It's when the huge uh, surges of uh, tsunamis circled the planet several times, and floods of water killed off darn near everything alive on the planet. But there there were pockets of, of survivors. But in the Middle East, on the Saudi Peninsula. Nearly 99.9% of everything that uh, drew breath there was killed. Now, there were some that uh, survived, and, and that's why uh, Joshua, when he took the, the, the tribes of Israel into the Promised Land, God directed him to kill off certain villages, all their animals, and all their living things, because they were still this hybrid uh, gene pool which Satan had uh, created before the flood. So he did the mop up there, having Joshua do it. Um, this is a, a theological question that rabbis cross their eyes about trying to figure out how giants reappeared on the other side of the flood when it was supposed to kill them all but right. they did and, and they were mopped up very succinct and very very well laid out in fact I'm going to I'm going to go back it's it's different sitting behind the camera and, and listening versus just listening so I'm going to and then watching I'm going to have to go back and and uh, just go over everything you just said because man that's just it makes sense to me, and especially the the one area, Joe, that you know about how the Earth has expanded. Boy, that makes a lot of sense to me now. Yeah, um, look up. Yeah, look up on the internet. Look up expanding Earth theory, and uh, you'll see uh, several proponents of this. And uh, you know, um, I just it works. It really works when you look at the geology of the planet. Uh, it, the only problem that, that that modern science has with that is the timeline. It, you know, of billions of years versus thousands that we're talking about. Even the Earth's magnetic field, we can calculate the strength of it now, and you know, it is diminishing now, but it will reverse and get stronger again. But its mean value now, um, from a molten ball that it was in, when it was formed, to now, between 50 and 100,000 years, is the maximum age it could be to have decreased its mean magnetic field to what it is now from the time when it was in hysteresis or molten. You know, gee, there's just so many things that if you put them all together, and that's what the good Lord lets me do, is to throw them into my mind and jumble them around and link them. And, and it, it all fits when you adjust the timeline. And then modern science can get on board with the Bible. I wish that happened 10 years ago, 50 years ago. It would have been so right. nice. Amen. Well, folks, you just heard a combination of, of Adrian Monk, uh, Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> Indiana Jones, and uh, Stan Dale. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, good well, stuff. It's fun around here. Holly will tell you, we, we find some interesting things. 
She's waving. <laughs> hey, hi, Ollie. And, and folks, Dare to Prepare, great book, uh, important for these times as well. And of course, the EMP Shield. Just go to HagmanReport.com. There's links, and of course, to standao.com for both. That's uh, important stuff. Dare to Prepare. Yeah. And the links are in the Hagman Report yep. uh, right up for today. Yep, absolutely. Stan, you've taken us to the end of the show, and, and just like our other interviews today, it went by so fast. It did. And lots of great information. We thank you so much. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to talk to you. It's kind of like sitting around the fireplace having a nice chat. It, it Absolutely. is. It is. Our, Very our, laid back, comfortable, and, and yeah. great discussions. Our, our love to Holly, and uh, uh, you take care of yourself, and, of course, uh, your your kids and uh, your entire family. So that, thanks for thanks for being with us. You bet. Lord right. bless you now. Bye-bye. Folks, that'll do it for us tonight. Don't forget, tune in tomorrow, 9 o'clock. I will be back. Will you? Doug, yes, I will. Doug Hagman Radio Show. Don't be had, lying had, now. No, no. I had to, had to, you know, I can't tell you. I can't tell you where I was. You can't tell me you're going to be back if you're not going to be back. I'm going to be back. Yes, yeah, sleeping in right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. one thing I know he wasn't doing. Yeah, that's uh, doggone right. Uh, and, and, you know, uh Look, uh, and of course, two to three with John and John, the Hagman Daily Show. So, nine to ten on Global Star Satellite Radio and Blog Talk Radio, the Doug Hagman Radio Show. Two to three, same venues, Blog Talk Radio and Global Star Satellite Radio. And by the way, we want to thank Global Star Satellite Radio for featuring us on video. The YouTube segments or the video will go up in YouTube, uh, the whole show in YouTube segments, usually within 24 or 36 hours of the initial broadcast. With that, thank you so very much for tuning in. May God bless each and every one of you. And, uh, just uh, hug a loved one. Yeah.